Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the forecast for November of 2018. Joining me are Kelly Surtees and Austin Kopic, and this is episode 177, I want to say, of the Astrology Podcast, give or take. Uh, so welcome, everybody. Thanks for, thanks for joining me today, Austin and Kelly. Anytime. Our pleasure. And uh, yeah, so we're doing this really quickly as a little impromptu forecast. We've got a live audience of patrons who have joined us from all over the world for the recording of this episode today. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it later, I'll have timestamps in the description for where you can jump to different parts of the episode in case you want to skip some of the news and announcements and other stuff that we do at the beginning of the episode, as well as miscellaneous discussion topics. And then usually in the second half of the episode, we transition into talking about the forecast. So uh, with that out of the way, uh, let's start with just catching up. How are you guys doing? Kelly, you just got back from a major conference, right? I did. I had an amazing time. Um, SOTA, which stands for State of the Art Astrology Conference. It's an annual conference, usually in the second half of October in Buffalo each year. Don't be put off by the location if you don't think it sounds amazing because the conference hotel is great and the community of astrologers that goes is really amazing. Um, we had so much fun. The caliber of speakers and presentations just seems to get better each year. And this was the largest uh, SOTA conference that I've attended. It was a larger group of people attending than I think they've ever had. Um, still quite intimate. It's a conference of sort of between 150, maybe around 150 people. And they talk about, you know, it's, you know, you won't get lost in the crowd here. So you do get that chance to have a little bit more sort of meaningful conversation and talk time with people. Uh, and it was was absolutely fantastic. So yeah, pop it on your radar every year in October. Yeah, the pictures and everything from it on social media and from the Association for Young Astrologers Party looked amazing. Yeah, I really have to give a shout out to the Astro Association for Young Astrologers. Uh, Joe Gleason and Jen Zart were there representing that organization and they took over the host suite. Now, one of the great things about the party suite, if you like it, AFAN, is it's not a regular hotel room suite. So it's not up on the floors with the rooms. It's actually a separate area on the main floor of the hotel, which is private but away from people's bedrooms, which means you have no noise restrictions. It actually has a fully functioning bar inside it. So you just bring in your own alcohol and beverages. And we basically had a dance party and it was so much fun. Astrologers and attendees of all ages just mixing and mingling over a wine or a vodka or two. And uh, it was a great chance to kind of let our hair down and uh, just have a lot of fun. That Can't sounds reckon. awesome. Yeah, and like um, as one of our um, wonderful listeners, Arthur, is saying, you know, at UAC there were so many issues with um, the org parties getting closed down because they were just rooms on floors that had bedrooms on either side with people trying to sleep in them. So, of course, you know, noise does become an issue. And uh, that's one of the great things about the party room, if you like, at SOTA. So if you enjoy the social aspect of astrology conferences as much as the learning and networking – then that's a good one to pop on your radar. Right. That sounds like a blast. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's good. And it's good to hear the, uh, the AYA is throwing some ragers because uh, I, um, during my tenure, we threw a couple. And yeah. uh, <laughs> I think it's, it's a proud tradition. <laughs> yeah. And there was a lot of people, you know, the, the funny thing I'm realizing is Every year we've got Norwalk at the end of May and Sota at the end of October. They're six months apart. 
the annual conferences, little smaller on scale, but there does seem to be a lovely crew of newer or younger astrologers coming in that are putting these conferences on their radar and making them part of their regular yearly kind of adventure schedule. Right. That's so exciting to see. And you made a comment just before we started recording that you're no longer like the youngest person in the room. I was like the old person. I was like trying to keep up. I think I was talking to Franco, who's one of the astrologers out of Toronto, and he's a little bit older still than me. And uh, I was like, yeah, just trying to keep up with these young ones. Uh, So yeah, definitely not the new kid on the block anymore. And it's wonderful to see. Definitely. Well, hats off to Joe Gleason, who I I feel like (laughs) single-handedly like put that conference, brought it to a new level with the promotions. Yeah, she's done a huge, she deserves all the credit. For sure. Um, So with that one out of the way, the next major conference then I believe is going to be Norwalk. And I feel like that's going to be the conference of next year. Yeah. All All three of us are going to be there. Don't know what we're doing yet. We're going to do some sort of event. So I think that's going to be the one we're going to focus on in the lead up to between now and then. Yes. Um. Yeah, I, I'm kind of a little like I'm excited, but I'm a little scared for Norwalk in 2019 based on, you know, how much fun was had at Sota because it feels like it was the warm up for next year. Um, so, yeah, sure. Good times. All right. Uh, let's see. What other pre-show stuff do we need to get out of the way? So, Austin, what are you up to or what do you do? You have Kelly just got back from Sota. What, what have you just gotten done doing? Oh, let's see. So October was pretty standard reading, writing, teaching. I guess the standout is that I uh, I passed my year one practicum in my Geotish class. Congratulations. So I, I graduated, I think, with flying colors with a minimum of critiques. And so that was really that was really fun. I um, basically the assignment was to do a reading for somebody using all the techniques on somebody that we didn't know already. And so, and then basically give a book report to the class on how the reading went and how we analyzed everything and why we did it the way we did. And so I didn't even look at the chart tropical. I didn't use any of my normal techniques. I just used the Geodish stuff that I've learned this year. And I found out that I can totally do that. And it was really exciting um, because, you know, I've been looking at stuff, but it's, you know, when I look at a chart, I look at everything I know. And so I was like, you know, only this. And so that was really exciting. Uh, and then to have that, you know, confirmed by the uh, uh, teacher. And this is um, Freedom Cole's class, right? Yeah, this is Freedom's uh, Science Light Year One. Awesome. Cool. And that sounds- I, I have to say, you know, we'll talk about this, Chris, but there's, it's given me, not only is the Parashara style geodish really interesting in and of itself, but it gives me, it's given me a whole new angle on the Hellenistic techniques because there's so much overlap and there's so much like oh they're just doing this slightly different or they're doing this with this technique instead of that and so it's actually reignited my enthusiasm to come back to and take another look at a lot of hellenistic things just because it's like oh from this angle you can see this anyway yeah, definitely. And there's interesting variations, like their variation of um, void of course, the, the definition of void of course that they use is really interesting from a Hellenistic perspective and sometimes provides insight into it's like having another Hellenistic text that you didn't know about that can give you other insight into that tradition. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the, yeah, the Kemadruma, um, right. which basically means void of course, and except that what they're doing is looking at is the moon alone? 
is the moon totally isolated? Um, which, but they're looking at it, they're defining alone in a different way, but right. it's the same principle of the moon doesn't like to be alone, yeah. right? It needs, it needs, it needs somebody to love. It needs somebody to care about. It needs to be cared about in return. It would rather have Mars or Saturn around than nobody, or, nobody at all. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, so yeah, it's just been really, it's, it's made me more enthusiastic about. Um, the things I already know, because I can see them from a different angle now. Yeah, I like yeah. that because... Sorry, uh, go, Chris. <laughs> just really quickly, the the definition seemed like somebody... They got the idea of, in the Greek tradition, void, of course, is when the moon is not making any uh, applying aspects within the next 30 degrees, and therefore it's in, it's isolated and there's no planets in its path. And then in the Indian tradition, the the definition of that that I understood, it was like somebody heard that the concept, and then they tried to create what the equivalent of that would be using Indian techniques and like basic concepts. Do, do you remember offhand what the Kemadruma definition is? Yeah. In yeah. Indian? So basically you want a planet um, either in the sign before or after the moon. Right. Because um, if there's not, then it's void, of course. Right. Uh, you're right. Then it's Kemadruma. And so in a natal chart, that is considered to be canceled if you have, uh, if there's a planet angular it keeps that person from being void of course, if that makes sense, right? So it's like, well, like, yeah, your moon's, uh, your moon's, you know, your moon is all alone. It's came a drama, but you know, you've got Jupiter in the 10th. So your life is going to be okay. That it's a cancellation of generally the came drama is a poverty yoga, mm. right? I mean, which yeah. makes sense with the moon. Like you're unable to manifest and sustain. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, and then there are some cancellations, but it's, it's a different way of looking at it. Because that second house relationship, like if a planet is in the sign after the moon, that's just like uh, they're they're looking at it more from a, a house perspective where mm -hmm. what's in the second feeds a planet. So yeah. if something's in the second from a planet, then there's like, here's food and money for you, moon. Yeah. Right. And then a planet that's 12th from the moon, the moon is in a second house relationship too. So the moon has somebody to take care of and, and feed and clothe. And she's happy with that. Yeah, Michael Ofek, one of his talks at UAC was on, I think, Hellenistic considerations of the moon. And he spoke to this idea of the moon being alone with the 30 degree space either side. And he was sharing the same kind of thing, Austin, that the moon doesn't like to be alone. And so it's very, it's a sad thing for the moon if it's going to go 30 degrees in either direction and won't actually have another planet to interact with. Yeah, nobody to love. Nobody to feed or care or, you know, be needed by. <laughs> well, and right. so, and from a Geodra's perspective where the moon is um, very important for characterizing a person's mind and what their yes. mind is on, there's like nothing for the mind to feed. Because even if it's Saturn, mm. it's like, well, I can think about um, security. I can think about what might happen that's negative and then build things to avoid that. There's at least something um, for that mental energy to feed. Yeah. And we all know just from our experience with having minds that if our mind doesn't have anything to feed or focus on, it does go a bit cray cray. Right. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, well, and that's part of the. Actually, no, that takes in a dark direction, but like I still, <laughs> you know, um, give us being, your Scorpio, Chris. <laughs> being in prison. Well, it makes me think of like being in prison and and solitary confinement, and how people mm. being in solitary confinement, like that is you know becomes almost like torture after a certain amount of time, not having any connection with other people. And so it's almost that's the extreme analogy with like being in solitary confinement and not having any of that human interaction. 
Yeah, well, and that's, I think that's really good because uh, you don't know, like, you're, let's assume that you're in the middle of a longer prison sentence, which is fair if someone's in solitary confinement. What are you moving towards? You know, maybe mm-hmm. freedom in 10 years, like, you, it's more than 30 degrees away, right? And then your life, you know, your life outside, you've left behind, behind long ago. And so, like, there's not, there's only this space. Yeah. Right. I think that's a great analogy, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be my new new term for void of course is solitary confinement. Solitary confinement. Yeah. Because nobody knows what void of course means. Like everybody just repeats it, but it's like an old 17th century term that means walking in the void or walking in the emptiness, which is what the Greek term kenodromia originally meant. It meant like running in the void or running in the emptiness. But we get the like 17th century like Lily version, which is void, of course. I Anywho, like That's great. let's move on to our other topics. So, what are our what are other topics for things we need to get out of news and announcements? I didn't see a lot of news or major things this month. Um, I mean, there's like a lot like celebrity stuff or like little uh, tiny bombings. Yeah. So right after that was a huge thing. Right mm-hmm. after the full moon. So the full moon occurred that night and that was the big tense one that we talked a lot about last month. What were the all of the configurations to that? It was like conjunct. full moon conjunct Uranus in Taurus square Mars and square the nodes, I guess. Yeah, it was uh the the Mars square was loose. It was um it was uh, it was opposite the moon Venus, but you know, it was the moon was fullest conjunct Uranus within a degree or two, which is really the obvious standout. And it was square the nodes really tightly. And that that the full moon actually climaxed in the morning when all the news was coming out about that. So it was actually timed really tightly. And so that's one of those situations where you have, you know, we use words like explosive and catalytic for Uranus and um uh, the case, it, it was um, uh, quite literal. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like we w- woke up, everybody woke up that morning, and then across the news, a bunch of different, in the US, I guess, at least a bunch of different Democrats had been sent bombs like in the mail, and it sparked this huge, yeah, thing. And that was like right after the full moon conjunct Uranus square, square Mars. So that's a pretty, pretty interesting manifestation of that transit. Quite literal. Yeah. Yeah, in the idea of Uranus being explosive and there being a really significant political bomb situation. Yeah, it was um certainly an October surprise. Yeah. Right. Um, also the the stock market's been um getting kicked surprising. in the face. Yeah. It's not surprising. Um, well, no, that you I beg your pardon. Um it's been volatile. It's, it's been a long honest. time coming, you know. The um so we talked about in the Saturn and Capricorn uh, episode, Saturn and Capricorn always beats up the United States economy every single time. And this time with Pluto there and with the South Node on the way um, and with us being overdue for a recession, you know, the question was, is it going to be this year or next year? It's not like are things going to keep being awesome for a long time? And this is just like, you know, it's starting to show. Mm. It is. And October, end of October, weirdly, um, has been, it's known in stock market circles or financial circles, end of October is a more difficult time. Um, 
larger portfolios, um, hedge fund stock portfolios, that type of thing, they're often doing a lot of profit taking at this time to, you know, kind of balance the the portfolios in the lead up to the end of the year. And, you know, I mean, this particular lunation, of course, has volatility written all over it. But to have that happening in this late October period, which um, is kind of known to be a little bit more of a, a drop time in the market, it, it's an interesting correspondence. And here's the full moon chart just for anybody that wanted to picture that. Yes. So, okay. And um, other news type things. There's one other thing that happened that somebody actually, I think it was Jonathan Edwards pointed out to us on on Twitter, which is we focused a lot last month on the Venus stationing retrograde in Scorpio. And pretty close around that time, one of the things that that happened was the um, disappearance of that uh, Saudi uh, exile, Jamal, yeah. who, who was a Washington Post columnist, um, Jamal Kash- Khashoggi. Is that how you pronounce his name? It's a, Don't it's know. a, good, um, it's a good approximation. <laughs> okay. So one of the, the only thing that was not only thing, but one of the things that was interesting to me about that was uh, one of the things that we spent a little bit of time talking about was Venus and the fact that it was going retrograde in Scorpio, which is the sign opposite to its domicile. And how um, in my book, I had a little section talking about how the original conceptual premise underlying that was the idea of planets being opposite to their domicile, perhaps being in exile or being like, you know, mm. as far away from home as you can possibly get. And one of the things that I thought that was really interesting in terms of the symbolism of that story is he actually literally was somebody that was in in exile from his home country. Mm. Um, so it was actually a literal manifestation of the concept of exile, which is otherwise something you don't normally think about or see very explicitly or very literally in modern times. And I'm not sure, it's not like we have a birth time for him or something, so we don't know precisely how that transit was tied into his specific chart and all the specifics, but it was interesting in terms of looking at the mundane symbolism of that Venus stationing retrograde in Scorpio around that time and and what ended up happening. Well, and yeah, as I mentioned last month on my research on the Venus retro and Scorpio, tons of famous kidnappings. That's, you know, that's just something that seems to happen every eight years around this time. Yeah. And the symbolism too, because I believe he went into the embassy and then just didn't come out. Right. And it was to get a wedding certificate or to get something in order to get married. So It was something Venusian. Yeah, yes, so from his wife easier. from his wife's perspective this event in her life was it was that time that her fiance went in to get some paperwork to the embassy. He was in exile, thought he would be okay and then ended up being like tragically and horribly dismembered and then dis- and died basically right around that Venus station. Well, and it's a very violent sort of killing too with the reports that are coming about about, you know, the attack and the dismemberment. Right. Um and I thought it was interesting too, because when you are in exile, a place that you are led to believe would be a safe sanctuary would be something like an embassy. And we've had that, you know, safe port for the exile fail, basically, in, with, you know, horrific consequences, um, which is really interesting. Right. Yeah. So that was interesting, sort of Venus retrograde story that you otherwise might not immediately jump to, assuming it was a Venus retrograde story. Oh. Uh, did you guys have any other interesting Venus retrograde type stories or notable news occurrences that you noticed? Well, I mean, the the getting retweeted by John Edwards was really funny. Yeah. Um, as I think I mentioned to you guys, I um, 
like the night before I had restarted my um my my monthly ancestor practice, I'd rebuilt my 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 little altar and I'd gotten photographs of my grandparents from both sides and Kate had construct had made some uh, Hermanubis, which is like a psych of Greco Egyptian psychopomp deity, half Hermes, half Anubis, like candles and oils and whatnot. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna use this and restart my ancestor practice. And then I woke up, you know, I talked to the dead, and then I woke up um, being retweeted by a medium, by a famous medium. I was like, that's that's too perfect. That's pretty right? literal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he's lovely. He's very connected to astrology. So I think it's... I wrote like two articles for an astrology project that he and Alan Oaken did like eight, ten years ago. Yeah, that was like ten years ago now. Yeah, it was a mm. long time ago. I remember I wrote something about Uranus moving into Aries. <laughs> ah, well, that's a while ago now, eight years. Yeah, it was about how one of the narrative themes would be, you know the the plucky rebels versus the evil empire and how we'd see mm. that you know in movies and in reality super interesting um yeah just on the the stock market piece we we're talking about a few moments ago i remember thinking the last time we had that crash which was 2008 we just had pluto come into cap but we also had jupiter and capricorn at that time and so i think you know, well, we do have Saturn and Pluto in Capricorn now, but I'm really looking to that late 2019, 2020 period when Jupiter comes into Capricorn as well for, you know, if you like corrections or depressions around global finance. Yeah. Well, the, uh, you know, the eclipse cycle gets there in three months or two months. Yes. So we've got yes. eclipses on top of Saturn and Pluto in the Sag rising United States, the sibling, the Sibley charts uh, second house. Um, I think it's going to be a couple year thing. I don't think it's going to be one correction. I think there's 2019 events, and I think there are 2020 events as well. Yeah, well, yeah. 20, 2020 is going to be huge. Everybody, all the astrologers are talking about a lot of the alignments going on that that year. Yes. So that is something we, I'm we sure we probably we'll need spend. to do an episode. We need right. To do an episode on that. Definitely. Um, okay. Other things to get out of the way before we go. I know we had some news and announcements. Um, for myself, the giveaways that we're doing this month, one of them is I've got a box of Paula's Daily Planetary Guide. Actually, it's the Llewellyn Daily Planetary Guide, which ah. I, I will be giving out a bunch of to patrons. So this is like a little planner and a little daily planetary guide from Llewellyn. And our good friend of the show, Paula Bellomini, did the illustrations and did a bunch of the work on this this uh, year. She's taking over from another astrologer named Jim Shavin, who had been doing it for, for two or three decades at this point. So those are actually available in a lot of bookstores because it's Llewellyn. It's one of the big astrology publishers that's still left around. And so you can find them in most bookstores like Barnes & Noble and stuff like that. But just do a search for Llewellyn Daily Planetary Guide for that. And I'll give out, like I think I have five or 10 of them to patrons this month. Um, let's see. The other giveaway I'm doing this month is I finally finished my zodiac shirts and ah. i've finally got uh one for each sign of the zodiac here's the scorpio one that beautiful blue yeah and it's a pretty nice high quality soft t-shirt uh so i'm pretty excited about them i've got my aquarius rising one that i'm wearing right now and uh next month i will send you guys both one you want your your sun sign your moon sign your rising sign what do you prefer you just, just sent me the one t-shirt for all three um, 
I don't know what Austin prefers, but I'll take I would the say one. I would say cancer. Cancer okay. rising. Okay. Cancer rising yeah. sign. Yeah, we could all wear our rising signs. If you feel that like sharing great. yours publicly, Kelly. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Okay. That's totally fine. Um, you made a great model there, Chris. Thank you. You've, yeah, you've got a I second need, career coming, I'm sure. I need to add some some pictures to Instagram uh, of that sort of myself. I'm still trying to get some some new ones, but that actually brings up the other thing I meant to announce, which is that I've almost finished building a uh, podcast studio, and I just wanted to share because I don't have the pictures on my desktop; they're on my phone. I'm just going to share the. Instagram page, which is a little bit of a weird way of going about doing that. But here's some pictures I posted to the Instagram account. If people don't know about that, you can follow the Astrology Podcast on Instagram at instagram.com slash the Astrology Podcast. Anyway, this is sort of what the newish studio is looking like for doing in-person interviews. And I'm hoping that we will yeah, be able to start doing some interviews and having some more people out here pretty soon. I used to have a setup where you know, people could we're coming through town and I would try to throw something together, but I didn't have a good studio for actually doing this. So this is the starting point. This is just like in my living room and that's why there's like books all around it. Uh, but I'm hoping eventually to get like a dedicated studio at some point in Denver for more professional stuff. And this is the, this is the starting point. It looks, it really looks good. very professional. Yeah. Very so next time you guys are in town or hopefully we can have you out maybe for a workshop or I'm going to try to figure out some way to coordinate that with my local astrology group in Denver to perhaps have people out and also do some interviews with them at the same time. That's a great idea. Yeah. So thank you everybody, especially all the supporters on Patreon who've been supporting the astrology podcast over the past years. It's because of that, that I'm able to continue to expand and keep reinvesting in the podcast to keep improving what I'm doing. So that makes a huge difference. Um, make sure if you, if you want to support the podcast, if you listen to us regularly, to check out our page on patreon.com and uh, look at some of the different bonuses and different subscriber tiers and so you can get benefits if you do end up donating for the podcast each month. Do you guys have any uh, announcements in terms of things you're doing that you want to mention before we get to the forecast this month? Austin, you've got a huge event. I mean, this is the November episode, so this is probably the last time to mention that, right? Yeah. So um, I got three things I'm doing in November. Um, one, I'm going to be giving a one-off webinar on Jupiter in Sagittarius. So we'll be doing some predictive stuff as well as some magical stuff about how to, you know, milk that dry, <laughs> get as much Jupiter in Sag as you can. Right. Um, because it's not going to last. Um, and then I will be teaching the last unit in my fundamentals of astrology class, which is synthesis. And so this is a little bit more workshoppy than the previous modules, which are focused on learning a piece. This is about putting together signs, planets, houses, aspects, dignity, and synodic cycles and reading charts. And so if you're at that place, even if you haven't been taking my class, uh, you can drop in for that. And then uh, last but not least, um, during the last third of the month, I will be in Australia. Kate and I are going to Melbourne, and I'm doing a big live event with uh, my friend and colleague, Gordon White, called So Below. And that is on the Saturday, the 24th in Melbourne. And uh, we're, uh, I think we're, I don't know, we've got three, four, maybe, I don't know. We've got like a, just a couple tickets left. 
Um, so if you, you know, if you're in Melbourne or if you want to, uh, if you're going to be in Melbourne and you want to come, um, you're not going to be able to get in at the door or even next week, like grab those cause they're pretty much gone. Um, and, uh, yeah, that should be amazing. Gordon and I are going to talk about planetary and stellar magic and the proper, um, what, what paradigm astrology sits in comfortably without friction. We're going to talk about history. It's going to be fantastic. It sounds amazing. Yeah, be, that is going to be great. Be good, and I might. This is not clear yet. There, I might do a little something in Auckland, New Zealand, on maybe the first or second of December, but that hasn't been finalized. Have you nice. done that, that flight before, Austin? No, I've never been to Australia before. I've been to Europe, but I've, a couple times, but I've never been to Australia. Well, you know how we were talking about that kind of void thing when you're like nowhere <laughs> right. for a long time um, with the moon? That's what flying to Australia is like. <laughs> I, you know, I'm surprisingly comfortable in the void. I'll just read books. Oh, no, no, don't, trust me. I love it. I think it's I actually, people are like, how do you do it? I'm like, you go up there, you have your thoughts. There's just no internet. You just get, you know, it's quite peaceful. Um, it's just kind of a long thing. Oh, um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. There's one more thing I should mention. Um, Chris, you talking to your patrons reminded me. Um, so the event's going to be recorded, but it's not going to be put out publicly. Um, but my patrons will get a copy uh, of the proceedings, at least the um, the pre-drinking proceedings of So Below. And so will and Gordon's premium members will get the same. Nice. So it's a little little treat nice. for the people who have supported us. That That is a nice, nice benefit. Um, all right. Uh, Kelly, what do you have coming up? Um, so I have actually a really full end to the year. Um, so I'm going to just kind of give the titles of what I'm doing. And then if people want more info, just jump over to my website or shoot me an email. Cool. I've got an introduction to relationship astrology class, which starts October 29th, and that's going to run for four weeks. I'm participating in Astrology University's Astrology Summit, which is all weekend the last weekend in October, so it might be more relevant for our live listeners, but I think there are going to be recordings available for that afterwards. Um, I too am doing a Jupiter and Sag webinar. Um, so if you want all the Jupiter and Sag stuff, you want to get Austin's um, webinar and get mine as well. Um, and then in December, I'm doing a Perfections two-part class online. It's the first couple of weeks of December. And I should give a shout out for my first annual retreat, which will be in Palm Springs in January of 2019. So if you need more details on any of that, just jump over to the website or shoot me an email. And that retreat's going to be like a forecast for the entire year ahead, right? Yeah, we're going to take people through transits and progressions. So sort of making sure everyone's up to date with those techniques and then really doing some practical application about, you know, what transits or what progressions are you personally having for the year ahead so that everybody kind of gets a chance to really get a feel and a flow for what their 2019 will, will be about. So it'll be two and a half days. It's right over the weekend where we have that Leo eclipse. Um, so we'll be able to do a bit of stargazing on one of the evenings as well. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, people can find out more information about that on your website, which is kellysastrology.com. Uh, you can find out more for Austin's stuff at austincopic.com. And for the stuff I mentioned for me, go to the astrologypodcast.com slash subscribe for more info about the Patreon or the astrologypodcast.com slash shop, I believe for the shirts and other podcast merchandise. All right, guys. So Excellent. let's so now we've come to the main event. 
I believe we have. Um, we covered all of the main news and other things that I meant to mention. I mean, I had like some blow off things, which is strangely all celebrity related, even though I don't follow celebrity news very well. But um, the Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson breakup being a funny like Venus retrograde type story, if anybody was following that. Um, there was a Saturn return story a month or so two ago that I forgot to mention that was actually really interesting, which was uh, the rapper uh, Machine Gun Kelly having his Saturn return in Capricorn and getting into like a feud with Eminem, with the other rapper Eminem, and that being sort of the high point of, I don't want to say high point of his career, but suddenly coming to great notoriety when Saturn was stationing directing Capricorn, him having Capricorn a little bit later in the sign. So if you want to inter- follow like an interesting developing Saturn return story, he's actually probably going to be one that will be ongoing over the course of the next couple of years. Uh, Austin, you're a big, big Machine Gun Kelly fan? Um, no. Um, no. <laughs> I like. I see uh, you smiling, so I was just curious what your, oh, what your reaction was. Oh, someone was making um, humorous comments in the comments. Oh, yeah, Arthur. All right. Yeah, yeah well, Arthur, who? Arthur and I were just, <laughs> Arthur and I were just talking recently about my obsession with finding Kanye West's birth time, which has been... It's like I feel like it's the the Moby Dick like story of my birth data collection career because I've gone through great lengths to find um, Kanye's birth time and have been have met with 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 uh, obstacles and barriers at every every turn. So we were speculating though that I think he has that Saturn in Leo and there's something about that Saturn in Leo that's like playing a dominant role in his chart for some reason. He has no other planets in Leo, and somehow that placement is playing a much more prominent role than it should, I feel like, in his chart. I think that's because either he has Leo rising, and therefore that Saturn's in the first house and it's coloring his personality, or perhaps he has like Saturn ruling the Ascendant and then it's placed in Leo, and that's why it's sort of playing a more prominent role in his chart. Um, I don't know. You guys have any speculations about Kanye West's birth time? Well, I think if we were going to uh, get into elections, we would have to look. Uh, we would have to find a situation that had a seriously afflicted fourth house or fourth house ruler uh, because his mother died really unfortunately and his um his growing up was really hard and so right. you know that like those are some of the greatest struggles in his life possibly the greatest and so um you know it, it would have to have a gnarly fourth sure definitely. it just wouldn't fit well, and he had that that car accident in like 2002, which was another major like event that you could use to attempt to rectify. Uh, anyway, we don't have to do a whole thing on that, but yeah, my I do have a obsession with different data collection and celebrity charts, and I don't feel like there's enough data collection sometimes of like rappers' charts. So that's something I've had to. Yeah, there's a suggestion in on. the comments that somebody used Dre, um, which I second and third, and maybe I'll do that. I did. I mean, it's an oh, yeah, astrology did. book. That, like, after saying he's never seen anyone. Oh, okay. Well, then I, w- I won't steal. Yeah. I won't steal Dre from you. Um, well, no. As that's far as what's I funny. do like, I do like, I do like the rapper Doctor Dre. I like him. I like the Jedi mind tricks. Like a couple others. Because all of the um, the West Coast rappers, it's actually easy to get their birth time. Because if they're born in California, California is an open state. So we got like Doctor Dre's birth time. We got Snoop Dogg's birth time like ten years ago. I remember when Nick Dagan Best came up with those. There's a bunch of different, like famous rappers from California, where it's easy to get their birth time. I don't think we have Kendrick Lamar yet, which is surprising because I think he was born in Compton. So that would be another one to look up. 
Um, are there any like famous birth times that you guys have always wanted that you've never been able to get a, get a hold of? Uh, mostly authors for me. Authors. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I'm obsessed as I shared with you guys in the pre-show chat um, with the movie, a star is born at the moment. And I just realized we don't have an exact birth time for lady Gaga. So I'd like one of those. And I would also like a birth time for um, Princess Catherine, Duchess, Middleton, whatever her official name is, the one who married William. I'd like a birth oh, time. Oh, right, for her. Catherine. So we, yeah. have, we have Harry's uh, wife now. We have Meghan Markle. Yeah, right. yeah. We have Meghan Markle. Her chart seemed to be readily available. Um, and so we've got hers and Harry's. And they're, they're pregnant. So I was happy that my perfection prediction has been borne out there. Um, based on Harry's chart, oh, well uh, which done. is great. Yeah, so they Harry was in this massive um, tenth house year by perfection, I think, and it's very a very strong Venus, which also ruled the fifth. And I was like, I'm sure we're going to get a baby announcement. Or that I, I think what I said was he'll be pregnant before his next birthday, and they didn't announce it publicly until after the birthday. But they they must have fallen pregnant you know, in that perfection year for them to yeah, be as far along it, uh, as they are. Th- that has to um, come first, right? Correct. And, you know, and they're, they're actually on tour in um, – they're doing a South Pacific tour right now. So they've been in Australia. They've been in Fiji. So they're all the Australian news press that I, I'm still in touch with is full of, you know, Harry and Megan. And they announced it, you know, of course they never say the exact due date, but the expectation originally was that they must have been about three months along when they announced it. But – she had a um, Megan had a private conversation with another Australian who commented about it on her Instagram feed that she talked about actually being four months along. So, um, yeah, and actually, John Edwards and I. Funnily, you mentioned him, Austin. If he's listening to this episode, he's getting so many shout outs. Yeah, he he and I had he and I had had some Twitter banter about uh, you know how quickly the baby announcement would come. Um, and I think he and I both thought they would fall pregnant in July or August, which it turns out is is what they did. So, um, oh, you can see his chart right there. Can you put it up? So yeah. he's just got this really golden Venus in the 10th house in Libra and uh, it was turned on by perfection. Um, and in that 12 months, he announced his engagement, got married and got pregnant. Right. I love that even just Venus in and of itself and having such a prominent and well-placed Venus in Libra and the 10th whole sign house and being in that 10th house perfection year and just having that his marriage as like the the center and like focal point of the year was really interesting. Yeah. And to a female figure who had her own sort of status or celebrity of sorts as well. Um, yeah. Because obviously their wedding was a, a hugely public event. But yeah, I, Chris, I think the point that you were pointing to is that sometimes the planetary significations um, of a, an annual perfection will outshine some of the um, uh, some of the house ones because some some perfections it's just like oh it's a third house perfection third house house stuff happens whereas right. when you have you know a tenth house Venus in Libra and that's activated it's just Venus right yeah. you know the Venus outshines the tenth yeah. Yes. I mean, it wasn't like he did a Venus thing in his career necessarily. He just did a Venus thing or he did a series of Venus things. <laughs> I'm sure it took a couple. <laughs> I'm sure it took a couple tries. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, and we haven't even had drinks, so that's great. No, no yeah, drinks should... for me in October. 
That's that, right. Mm-hmm. What would that actually be like? Uh, we should try that sometime, like a, a you know, after hours, the astrology podcast episode at one of these conferences. Oh my god, totally. I'll pour the drinks. Um, I'm clearly capable of this after last weekend's showing at Sosha. Oh, speaking of after hours, semi-drunken conversations, um, I think I'm actually going to be ready to release the first episode of my little podcast project, mm, I think before the end of October. Excellent. Yeah, nice. it's going to be, uh, it's, I didn't get drunk, but um, you know, the whole idea was to capture or eavesdrop on the 2 a.m. conversation. And so it's um, myself, and the first episode is my my friend and longtime Smith, uh, Tony Mack, who's a good astrologer and uh, has been uh, is a jeweler and Smith who's been making little uh, astro magic talismans. We've been doing projects together since 2010, so I thought it would, he would be a he's sort of a, a secret weapon. And so I, I thought it would be fun to have a talk with him because people know Excellent. him, but they haven't had a chance to sit down with him. I love Thank Tony. I actually have, I just found this yesterday, a little uh, Mercury talisman that he made for me like several years ago. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. So, Do you remember the election? Yeah, it was a, it was like a Virgo rising Mercury and Virgo election that I picked out years ago. And he made the talisman for me at that time. It was kind of an experiment and results were a little bit mixed. It wasn't like a great chart for me. And it brought up a lot of questions about charts being objectively good as as elections, let's mm-hmm. say, or even magical elections versus how the chart relates to the individual. And right. Because that's your eighth. Yeah. 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 Right. So it's a little, it's a little tricky, uh, but it was, I like, I like his work. He's a great, great, you know, person who makes those things. Yeah. He's good. We've done a bunch of experiments. So is that podcast going to be on your website, austincoffic.com? Yeah, I'll, I will I will ring the bells that still can ring and let people know. Sure. All right. Brilliant. Um, and for perfection, since we're just mentioning that a lot, uh, for those that aren't familiar with that t- technique, check out episode 153 of the Astrology Podcast, where I did like a two-hour workshop on that. If you want to learn more about perfections or check out Kelly's upcoming workshops, which will be happening in a few months, where you're doing a two-part series on that, you said, right? Yes, yeah. Looking at the annual, looking at what annual perfections are, and then um, working with the Time Lord in the Solar Return chart. So it'll be fun. Brilliant. All right. Um, so those were all of the like celebrity things that I wanted to mention. Yeah, let's get in the forecast. Cool. I think it's forecast yeah. time. It's totally forecast time. Yeah. All right. Let me pull up the the chart for right now for those who are watching the video version, and. What are we what are we starting with this month chronologically? Well, November 6th. Yeah, we're in let's just say this is um the month comes in much more much differently than it goes out. Beginning and end are totally different vibes. There's really like a part 1, middle and part 3. Um they're that are very distinct. This isn't like a, you know um last month we had sort of a, a one vibe month. Um, yeah, this is not like that. This is, um, yeah, this is, you know, this has got like three act structure. I like that summary of this month for sure, for sure. It, all the Jupiter vibes by the end of the month. I know. Basically, <laughs> I will be lost on the other side of the world and loving it. Yeah, 
I mean, and we were talking about like, you know, all the comments in the webinar chat for our live listeners around, you know, the drinking. Somebody said, drink like a trio of people with water stallions. <laughs> and it just made me think of the Mars Jupiter square coming up at the end of November, um, which we'll get to. But Mars will be in Pisces and Jupiter will be early in Sag. So. Mm-hmm. Well, or the, the Mercury-Neptune square. That was like a huge thing uh, Lisa was having problems with in the elections this month, which is that Mercury stationing retrograde squaring square Neptune. Neptune. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty much there most of the month. It's there for a good a good part of the middle of the month. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and we've got the Jupiter ingress into Sagittarius finally. So we're, we're saying goodbye to our year of Jupiter and Scorpio, very sadly, moving into a year of- <laughs> I had a client this week say they cannot wait to see the back of Jupiter and Scorpio. So, Scorpio. so I feel like the Jupiter and Scorpio is personal preference or not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wasn't, I, w- I wanted to get more out of it. I wanted to squeeze more out of it than I did over the course of the past year, having a Scorpio stellium myself, but I guess it was still pretty good in term- <laughs> in the, the growth and expansion department. Yeah. I remember last time Jupiter was in Sag, I had a, a very golden period. So I, I've certainly been biased towards that. Um, and then I mean, the other huge thing this month, Mars finally getting the hell out of Aquarius. Well, yeah. Venus stations direct <laughs> that's i mean and those two things happen in the middle of the month november 15 november 16 anyway we're totally bouncing around chris do you want to do this chronologically no yeah, i think that's good i did want to do a little bit of an overview of just mentioning a few of the things that we're going to touch on because that kind of highlights just the the fact that there's a lot of important shifts going on this month yeah i mean on 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 just super quick overview first half venus second half mercury and jupiter that's a good way of summarizing it. And yeah, as a as a meta perspective, what I've been saying, you know, in my to my monthly subscribers and and for clients and things like that is there are so many things changing, changing signs or changing direction in November mm-hmm. that it does feel like there is, you know, this fresh air coming in and and situations are evolving. We're not stuck anymore. We've got uh I think particularly with Jupiter going into Sag and Mars going into Pisces there's movement here, you know, places that have been really kind of, you've had to bed down, you know, from fixed to mutable is, is definitely more mobile, maybe a bit scattered. Sure. Mutable has got to cop that, but, uh, definitely a lot more movement. Venus ending her retrograde. I know Mercury is going to go retrograde, but it's not that it's nothing, but I feel like, yeah, Mercury's retrograde, but Mars and Jupiter are on the move. Venus is ending her retrograde. Those things are sort of more overrides in my book, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, So uh, in terms of like, where do you guys want to start for the beginning of this month? August, November 6th. November 6th. Okay. So we'll jump forward. Do you want to start there, Austin? Nodes changing sign, Uranus changing Well, let's just say that, you know, on the last day of October, Venus retrogrades back into Libra. And so Venus will be in Libra on the 1st of November all the way to the end. And so that's a very different vibe from Venus in Scorpio, right? Venus was in Scorpio for all of October, right? And so we talked abundantly um, about Venus in Scorpio I believe I provided right. some good dark forest slash sewage metaphors last you month. You did. You um, did. So we should talk- Which were very popular on Twitter. But we should, you're right, we should give Venus in Libra her due. Yeah, I mean, we've got a Venus station in the sign that Venus rules. 
Um, yeah. And, you know, what's kind of fun about that is that, um, you know, that station is uh, it's in Libra, both sidereally and tropically. It's, you know, it's it, everyone agrees that's a Venus station in Libra. Which is nice because there isn't always that agreement. No, about five, six of the time there isn't. <laughs> there isn't. So, I mean, Austin, you did give some beautiful images. I mean, I know I talked about compost and you were talking about sewerage for Venus in Scorpio. What What are you talking about for Venus in Libra? Well, so, you know, with Venus in Libra, so we, we you know, we have Venus stationing, we have Venus arising again in the East after the underworld ideal, the ideal ordeal, um, you know, uh, in Scorpio. <laughs> That's and a nice wordplay. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, when Venus rises in the East, um, the morning star Venus is much more uh, active, outgoing, some texts say masculine or assertive. This is, you know, this is Venus seeking justice. This is Venus going out and creating right relationship, trying to create harmony. Um, right. Whereas evening, evening, uh, evening rising Venus and Mercury are more, they're more receptive, mellow, adaptive, but this is a fresh rising in station. And so, you know, you really have like, I don't know, you know, you really have, uh, something not unlike that, um, like the image of, uh, of justice herself, like winged with scales. Mm. Right. You know, a- after a long time of like looking at what's balanced and what's unbalanced and, you know, and and that's internal to feeling like feeling the bad and feeling the good and not know what, you know, not knowing what how to reconcile them. You know, this is a, a going forth um, and creating balance, a creating equilibrium, creating fairness, creating harmony. Um, and mm. so it's it, it's a by the time we get to the middle of the month, it's a very active. It's an increasingly active Venus all month. Yeah, and you make some beautiful points there about the independence quality of a morning star Venus. You know, this is morning star Venus is not as kind of maybe partnership oriented as uh, the evening star Venus is. And so even though we're in the sign of Libra, that uh, morning star quality is definitely mixing things up a bit. I like also what you said there around, it's almost like, you know, we're refocusing on the future. How can we we sort of move forward with these intentions about right balance and integrity? And I also can't help but think, you know, Venus Stations Direct right near Speaker, um, the one of the really potent fixed stars in the sky, which is at 24 Libra and Venus Stations Direct at 25 Libra. You know, Speaker is a, a very bright fixed star that is quite close to the ecliptic and it represents the potential for brilliance. It talks about, you know, it, traditionally it was sort of viewed as the um, the knowledge or the wisdom of agriculture, which was, you know, historically very valuable information. And what um, it tends to be associated with today is this idea of those ideas or innovations that can really lead to growth and progress for culture and society. So I, I do think there's a lot of symbolism in this Venus station based on, you know, the things we've mentioned here today. Yeah, that point about Spica is really important. Um, so Spica, by the way, is actually what uh, is actually the star that anchors the most popular Ionamsha used to convert between uh, sidereal and tropical because it's really close to the uh, the ecliptic. But right. um, you're talking about Lahiri? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. And so, um, what was I going to say? 
Oh, oh, about speaker though, right? Uh, Bernadette Brady says that it's basically indeterminate brilliance. It's sort of like it can be brilliance in any field. It's mm. not this or that. It can add that to it. It just adds that that capacity for you know um, that capacity for brilliance to whatever planet it's next to. And then yeah. in the nakshatras, speaker anchors um, uh, anchors a mansion, um, which is called Chitra. Just like the shining jewel, which is Spica, and Spica is specifically, uh, or, uh, specifically oriented to brilliance of design. Um, one of the, the deity that's associated with it is like the celestial arch or like the heavenly architect designer, uh, and that it's brilliant. It's it's the that that light Spica's light um, illuminates like the deep structure of how to make things, right? How to design things, whether they're social systems or um you know mechanical devices or a piece of art or whatever but it like like kelly like you said it's it's brilliance it is brilliance it's and and i think you you said it beautifully where you said it basically it's almost like a bonifying energy where it, it enhances or amplifies anything that's near it and so we're going to have you know, Venus Station Direct right near Speaker. So there's something, there's like a, I don't know, I feel like there's an extra special sort of emergence revelation that can come out of this Venus Station if we can have people picking up that Speaker kind of blessing at the same time. Right, right. Well, in, in terms of Morningstar Venus um, being more active or assertive, you know, it, it's cre- how do you create um, harmonious arrangements? How do you create um, yes. justice. How do you create beauty, right? Not how do you receive, but what is, how do you design these things, right? How do you design them in your relationships? How do you design them in your work? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it's just, it's, it's going to be, and I think this is great because for our listeners who've been listening to our podcast for a while, this is a much more positive take on Venus this month than what we had necessarily last month, or at least the imagery has more lightness in it. It has more maybe something subjectively good that we might be able to get out of Venus this month, even as she wraps up this retrograde. Well, and I would say that all of the, you know, the power Venus has that's going to be experienced as positive at this, you know, direct station point is the power accumulated um, and only made possible by the, you know, the going through the sewers in Scorpio and retrograde mm. and deeply combust. You know, there's the yeah. the gathering of power from the underworld and then the emerging, you know, just in, in a simple like mythical narrative format, the hero or heroine goes into the underworld, they experience an ordeal, they find they they leave something find the there treasure. and but then they get something, you know, in exchange for, you know, the ordeal, they come out with something that they couldn't have gotten anywhere else. Right? Yeah. And, you know, in, in terms of the, you know, conjoining the sun and being combust, um, metaphorically a planet goes through purification by fire um when it's combust. So we've got Venus purified by flame. You know, we've got uh, the trash pile has been burnt away and there are some uh, <laughs> there's some there there's literally a chitra or, or a speaker. There's a jewel um, somewhere in the ashes and Venus emerges with that with that gem glowing more brilliant every day. And, and we actually reached that that uh, halfway point, that darkest point uh, today, this morning, October 26th, which was the, the sun Venus conjunction with Venus retrograde hitting the sun at three degrees of Scorpio. So that's the 
And then this Venus station that we're talking about in the middle of October is the other end of that. Yep, exactly. Yep. Yeah, we were we were Completely. talking not too far before the retrograde station before, and everybody could feel the descent starting, the call of the sewers. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then we got pulled down and we've been, you know, hanging out at the bottom. And soon, soon the uh, the rise begins. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking of a song again from The Star Is Born. That will be all my imagery for anyone that I can offer. But one of the, the music from that film is great. But one of the lines in the songs is, I'm at the bottom of the bottle. And I think that's that was the Venus in Scorpio. Like, we're at the bottom. One of the things I want to mention with this station of Venus at 25 degrees of Libra around November 15th is that it went into its shadow. It actually first passed over that degree way back around September 3rd, I believe, when it passed 25 degrees of Libra originally. So it's retrograding back to and it's returning back to a degree um, that it crossed previously. And sometimes in a timing sense, this ends up connecting two different periods or it ends up connecting events that take place in those two different times because a planet is returning back to the same degree. And there was actually a really striking example of this that Lisa Scheim noticed this past month with Mars in the Mars retrograde cycle, where she pointed out that the Supreme Court seat went vac vacant the day that Mars stationed retrograde earlier this year, several months ago. I did and then not it note that. That's super interesting. Please and that on. it yeah. ended up being filled the same weekend that Mars returned back to that same degree. So the Supreme Court seat was was announced to be vacated and that there was an opening when Mars first stationed there. And then when it came back, when Mars returned back to and then recrossed that same path for the final time, that was when eventually Brett Kavanaugh was like made, was confirmed as a Supreme Court justice. So oh, that's wow. a, a really super, super important example, not, not the specifics, but to generalize that, that's sometimes how retrograde degrees and shadow degrees work is they can connect events in different parts of either a few month time span or in, in terms of an entire year. And it works not just with inner planets, but sometimes it also works with outer planets like Saturn as well, which you'll see connecting periods that are, are very far apart, like several months apart. Yeah, that's a nice one. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's yeah, not nice it, yeah. in terms of I'm not pleased with the outcome of that event, but as far as an example goes, that's quite good. The symbolism. Yeah. So yeah. what you're really saying, Chris, is early September and mid-November are connected by Venus hitting that sort of 25 degree mark of Libra. And so people could think about events from potentially early September and, and some sort of resolution or completion coming through around this station in the middle of November. Yeah, something for some people, it's going to be something that started or was initiated in early September will be brought to completion or will come to some sort of conclusion. You'll have to revisit it, but it'll be brought to uh, conclusion in the middle of November when Venus returns back to that degree and then stations direct because it's revisiting something, but it's revisiting it in order to bring completion before then finally moving on. That's really useful for people to think about how those, I mean, that's the wonderful thing in astrology, isn't it? That we can link these seemingly random or disconnected periods of time through the cycles of the planets. Yeah. Well, it's also hard though, because that's one of the most fascinating things in astrology with the shadow degrees and, and the retrograde stations and returning to those. But it's also one of the most hard things to study because sometimes the events that it's connecting 
um, are subtle or you don't immediately notice them or you may not be aware of them, especially if you're studying it from like the outside with like a celebrity case. Whereas sometimes if you're following your own chart, you can connect those events and realize if you pay attention to, you know, if you see a, an important event happening for you when the planet's stationing direct, sometimes going back and looking at when it first passed that same shadow degree, you'll see the event that led up to it that you didn't realize at the time was significant or that you are only realizing in retrospect what significance that would end up having. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So um, that's that's the Venus direct station. Did You guys touched on, I mean, because the last thing that's weird about this Venus station though, and, and you guys have said some very positive and great things about it, which I like, but um, Uranus ingressing or or making its retrograde ingress back into Aries is one of the other features of this month. And that's definitely, um, it looks like Uranus moves from Taurus back into Aries around November 5th, November 6th. And then- We should actually, um, so I, I want to pause us there because the 6th through 8th, we get three big yeah. changes. Well, we get yeah. four important things really quickly on Venus's yeah. way to being, to becoming direct. Right. Kelly, you with, you're with me on this? Yeah, I'm definitely with you on at least three of the four. Um, so Yeah. Okay, well, let's yeah. get let's do those then, because I just wanted to mention that because that that opposition with Uranus, I feel like, really offsets some of the things going on with that Venus station in late Libra because it's so closely opposing Uranus at the same time. Yeah, the Venus Uranus opposition peaks on November thirty when they become exact by degree, so that is out there at the end of the month. But I guess I'm just sort of thinking there's Venus has got a little bit of time to pull some stuff forward. Um, before she gets, you know, right into the clutches of Uranus. I would say that it's just active um, as soon as Uranus goes into Aries. Like yeah. it matters cool. when it's by degree, but it's it's within a couple degree. The opposition is within a couple degrees almost the whole month. All month, yeah, that's sure. true. And I guess that's the only reason I was mentioning it. But then you're you're probably right, Kelly. That maybe some of the events that that's not going to fully culminate perhaps until later in the month when they have their final opposition. Yeah, and I have a little bias. I mean, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to sound like I'm dismissing outer planet transits or what have you, but Venus has a lot of strength in Libra. Um, you know, she's in one of her home signs at the moment. You know, she's got a little bit of distance from the sun. So I think she's sort of recovering her resources to sort of take whatever Uranus is bringing to her. And yep, she's going to have to do Uranus stuff. She's going to have to. Break with convention, or you know, break her own habits or tendencies, but it, it can actually lead to um, either a welcome or a productive outcome. I, I, Kelly, I, I, like I have liberation or something. I have a yeah. very similar feeling, um, Kelly. Like I feel like Venus is so strong here that it's yeah. really it's Venus is going to be incorporating Uranus rather than them sort of being him on doing footing. something to her kind of thing yeah it's going to be more yeah it's going to the the venus um direct action the venus direct and arising uh action is going to incorporate and have more uranian things like for example during the the time that venus is opposite uranus uh, i will be having a super good time with a lot of people venus super strong in libra but Uranus on the other side of the world in a place I've never been before. Yeah. Yeah. Which that's Uranian, yeah. but it's, you know, it's- Well, it's, it's your way outside your comfort zone. I mean, people are going to have, you think I sound strange? You're going to have to wait to hear what these people are going to throw at you down there. 
it's going to be funny. <laughs> well, and I guess we have to contrast so much of it with Venus having come out of the first half of its retrograde station in Scorpio and and being much less naturally affiliated with that sign or having much less in common with that sign naturally than it does this one so that this would probably be seen as a shift in as an improvement at least in terms of Venus's natural significations and therefore what you guys are saying is that Uranus opposition is probably going to lend more on the side of like the liberating type empowering type of significations in terms of Venus's station rather than just pure destabilization which is probably also true because it's stationing direct at this point and usually there's some sort of reconciliation or there's some sort of like re- remediating aspect of the direct station versus the retrograde one where you're just going into some of the the problems and challenges and, and setbacks yeah i mean the the energy of the retrograde station is literally a sinking down you'll see mm. venus get lower in the sky in the west every day until it disappears whereas the you know the motion the apparent motion of venus during the the direct station period the period surrounding the direct station is literally a rising up you know yeah and so yeah there's a huge difference there and like you said chris this is we're talking about we were talking about with venus and scorpio venus in exile and now we talk about venus coming to you know her fortress of strength right like right. coming home coming home yeah Home is a really good. Some there's an astrologer a few years ago at an Oprah retreat, and she was originally Greek, and she said, "Yeah, I like when you use." She was a modern astrologer, but she said, "I like when you use some of those traditional terms because I relate them immediately." And she just talked about domicile, except she kept calling it like a planet being at home, which is mm. when we talk about the metaphor is usually what we associate with it. We talk talk about it being in its its home or its dwelling place, but just that idea of home and using that specific term invokes a lot of um, meanings and like related concepts that are probably much more closely and directly, you know, things that you can relate that are tangible and useful rather than the more abstract when we use concepts like domicile or what have you. I mean, but if the the term, you know, if people just knew what domicile meant, it literally means your home. It's a dwelling. It's where you dwell. <laughs> right. A dwelling place. Well, well, and we're using domicile, honestly, I think primarily to avoid using the because we can't use the term house because that's become conflated with conflicted with the house system. The house system thing, which is a whole mess up that happened at one point. Oh, you in mean the, the, pla- the place system? The places, yeah. Well, yes. they were they were originally called places. The big the big and- place system debate. Right. <laughs> What's your place system? It sounds like setting the table for Thanksgiving. Yeah, do, or do you use Placidus? <laughs> <laughs> that was good, Austin. Thanks. Yeah, so we use we say we we would say home probably or something like that or house, but we can't because it's the the house system issue. So we say domicile, but then it becomes almost more abstract or more removed from the actual like, conceptual idea that we're trying to get to. Yeah. Because you're right, the explanation of a planet being in its own sign is the planet. It's like being at in your own home where you've got access to all your favorite things and the food you like is in the refrigerator and your comfy sheets or pillow or your cat that cuddles you or whatever it happens to be. Sure. So so possible title of this is <laughs> Venus coming home this month. Venus total that is that is the, yes, Venus is at home. 
Well, I, I titled my piece on most of this, uh, Ordeal and Descent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> of course you did. Whatever, it ends on ascent. Ascent is a happy note. <laughs> yes. Ordeal and ascent? Yeah. Is that what you, like, okay, right. So you got this, I beg your pardon. I we, did the, we did the descent, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. last month. It's, it's, and the ascent is really important. Like the visual is Venus starting to rise in the east and- the Venus morning star is incredibly independent. She's she's the Venus warrior um, energy, if you like. So there is a, a real strength to that. Um, yeah. I'm, uh, but we want to I, talk about I, November. Yeah, November. I'm a Venus Go. morning star. What about you, Kelly? You of you course, have to be. Of course. We both are. Of course we are. <laughs> see, oh, and Chris is uh, Chris is an evening Venus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Every everything in my charts on the other side of the sun, so it's all evening. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. You, I think Austin. For remember, we have Venus quite far from the sun. So yeah, we're pretty. Um, I think we're pretty near maximum elongation. Yes. Yes. We mine's are. like forty three degrees. Thirty six. Yeah, my, mine's over just like forty one, maybe off the top of yeah, my. I think that's head. that's getting pretty close. It's it is close. She's very bright. Um, but we have, I think Austin, we have, um, Mercury as evening yeah, star. I, I was born like 10 days before the retrograde station. So, yeah. So, right. um, Let's... we're totally like riffing at fairly advanced stuff that maybe yeah, not yeah. Uh, anyway. following. So, so... Let's get back to, let's, let's get so... back to November 6 to 8, yes. which is when Austin and I are really excited. Yeah. About. So what do you guys want to focus on? So I see Uranus, um, changing signs. It moves from zero degrees of Taurus to 29 degrees of Aries. Yeah, the nodes, North Node, slipping into Cancer, same day, yep. zero and, Leo to twenty nine. And so this Cancer. is the true nodes, correct? Uh, I believe the mean also moves. Mm. Is it that close? I think that's a very good question. I, um, let me just. Why don't you guys talk? I'll just double check that real quick. Okay. Okay. Thank you, fact so checker. it's pretty. I'm pretty sure I have it set on the true nodes in my software. So it's November fifth, November sixth. The South Node moves from Aquarius to Capricorn, and the North North Node moves from Leo to cancer since the nodes of course move backwards through the signs and one of the things that we'll start seeing then that we've already started to see a little bit but especially from this point forward now that um the nodes are switching into cancer and capricorn is we'll start seeing eclipses take place in those two signs because the nodes represent the point where the path of the sun and moon intersect each other and when the sun and moon intersect each other we have not just New moons and full moons, but we also have eclipses. Okay, so real quick, I checked it. So the mean nodes move on the fifteenth, sixteenth, so right on the okay. Venus station. So it's about a ten day gap, a ten day delay between yeah. the uh, the true and mean. So I guess I'm working. I had this question somebody asked me at the conference last weekend. Did I use the true or the mean node? And I was pretty sure I was using the true node. So I can confirm that. And it sounds like you are too, Chris. What about you, Austin? Are you? I mean, I am, guy? but I don't honestly have a strong opinion either way. Okay, Austin. Uh, I don't have a strong opinion either way. I'm. Uh, that that's where I'm at. Okay, cool. I like it. Great. So I didn't. I didn't feel bad for having a more precise answer than my response, which was, "Well, I figured I might as well just do the true because then it's a little bit more exact." Yeah, yeah, I mean, I did. I've only had like one real instance because usually this is something you'd probably try to figure out with like transits or something like that. But I've only seen one instance that really struck me as interesting that made me lean towards the true nodes one time when I was watching somebody else's chart. And I think it was like Paul Ryan 
in the 2012 presidential election, he was the vice presidential candidate. And at the Republican National Convention, there's a group of astrologers who watched both the RNC and the DNC so we could write down times when everybody did their speeches and like accepted things. And he got up and he gave his like one of the last nights of the convention. It was a pretty big deal for, for him politically, subjectively. And the node like shifted shifted signs right at that moment when he finished his speech or around that time, which was weird because it was right on his his ascendant was at like zero degrees of that sign. So the node moved right off of it right after he finished his speech. And that was using the true node. And that was one of the things that just trying to study transits pushed me more towards the true node than the mean node. Beautiful. Yeah. But so always, I guess the nodes move yeah. in November. Yes, yeah. exactly. I was going to say that. Yeah. Whether you're using true or mean, they're both changing signs. And so uh, that sets us up for a year and a half of Cancer Capricorn eclipses. We have one more. Um, we have one more Leo eclipse. But other than that, it's all Capricorn and Cancer for quite some time. And so that means that the, this is the, you know, the foreshadowing of the eclipse axis moving onto Saturn and Pluto as they too draw nearer. And so that oh, is, right. that is going to be, that is going to be so that, a very intense eclipse series, especially. So, so that's the other thing that's setting up the 2020 stuff. Yeah. You know, yes. uh, just a, a brief aside about the month as a whole, including this shift by the end of this month, things look a lot like 2019. In some ways, I feel like 2018's big stories really finish up in November because the whole thing Agreed. has been, you know, what's 2018 been about? It's about been about Uranus moving into Taurus. That's going to be over. It's been about the eclipses in Leo and Aquarius. That's more or less over. And it's been about these tightly interlocked uh, Venus and Mars retrogrades, which were both interlocked with each other, stationing roughly 90 degrees away from each other, and both of them were angular to Uranus. And so by the time we get to the end, Jupiter's been in Scorpio for all of 2018. And so by the time we get to the end of November, it, you know, uh, 2019 comes early. Like th those are the skies we're going to be looking at for a lot of 2019. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good point, Austin, because Jupiter moving into Sag, which is November 8th, we then have that running through until early December of 2019. So it's basically the vibe. I really like how you put that. The The 2018 themes are kind of uh, wrapping up. Thank God. But yeah, and that's what I mean. I'm so excited about November because I'm really done with Mars in Aquarius and more than anything, I'm so done with that. I'm I'm very happy to have Jupiter move into Sag, but just to get Mars out of Aquarius, I just want something different from Mars. Yeah, and, and yeah, I really feel like that's the end of the retrograde cycle, and it's not. Even though we've passed the shadow degree, we long passed, you know, Mars yeah. stationing direct, but it's still in the same sign that it's been in for most of the year until later in November when Mars finally moves into Pisces. Uh, what November fifteenth? Yeah, right before, yes. like uh, within like twelve hours before Venus goes direct. But just to yeah. just to jump back to sixth through the eighth, right? So yeah, we, we have, have we have that. Uranus regresses back into Aries, right? So Uranus was in Aries. Um, it jumped in in two thousand ten, and then it moved in. Um, I think March eleventh, two thousand eleven, and then uh, Uranus was in Aries from March of two thousand eleven up until May of 2018, earlier this year, when it made an ingress into Taurus. And so on 
November 6th this year, Uranus will drop back into Aries for almost exactly four months to finish up that old cycle. And then we'll move into, we'll, we'll return to Taurus and stay there until 2025. Um, I know that it's exactly four months because it moves back into Taurus on my birthday, March 5th. <laughs> so this is, you, yeah. So this is it for, this is the last, the very last of Uranus and Aries. And we're finally closing out what has been the greater part of a decade of, of Uranus transiting through Aries with one last reminder and one last dip of that planet back into that previous sign. Yep. So people with planets in very late cardinal, uh, you're going to get one more shot of Uranus in, uh, in Aries. And then the yeah. same day, nodes move. We just talked about that. That's about a year and a half. Then we have the new moon in Scorpio. And then like 12 hours later, Jupiter moves into Sag. So that's a, yeah. that's a lot of shifts for, you know, three days. It's huge. It really is a huge amount of energy. The other thing I like, um, I, I agree completely, Austin, when I've looked at the month ahead, I'm like, that's, this is a, a bit of a, I had a feeling of like a breakthrough vibe. Um, and when we say very last degrees of cardinal, Uranus only comes back to 28 Aries. So it's literally 28 and 29 degrees of the cardinal signs that get the exact degree based hits, but you know, thereabouts. Um, and on those two days, interestingly, um, the moon is going to, after the new moon, the moon comes into Sag shortly after Jupiter comes into Sag. So there's a, like an ushering or a, you know, the moon is, is there as Jupiter crosses the threshold basically. Yeah. It's, nice. uh, it's like less than 24 hours after, uh, Jupiter ingresses, the moon conjoins Jupiter at zero Sag on a Thursday, the day of Jupiter. Yes. You know, and, yeah. that, and that's going to be about 15, almost exactly 15 degrees away from the sun. So that might be visible right after sunset. That's actually a really good point. Yeah, it's right on the fastest point. Yeah, it's going to be like just barely visible for a little bit. Tiny slither if you've got clear skies, like for the first half hour or so after sunset, maybe. Yeah, well, and right. Jupiter's sunset, really dim right now. So just one thing, about, I know there are a lot of people who are excited uh, about Jupiter and Sag. And um and I'm one of them, but this is one of the things you see with a lot of the the recent Jupiter ingresses is Jupiter ingresses into a new sign just as it goes under the beams and then into combustion. Yeah. So we're not really, you know, uh, Jupiter is basically doing a less intense version of what Venus just did, disappearing in the west and then reappearing in the east. Doesn't take as long. It's not as gnarly. Um, but you don't, we're, you're not really gonna be able to, uh, how should we say drink from the cup of Jupiter and Sag, um, until Jupiter reemerges in the, uh, in the East is it's gonna, that's it's weird. going right. It's weird that it disappears like right then, right. As it's moving into its own sign. Yeah. It did that last year too. I, I don't know yeah, if that's every year. Um, it probably shifts a little bit, but, uh, anyway, I don't know. Uh, but it's definitely doing that. So you know, you'll see the, you'll feel, you'll probably feel a little Jupiter in sad shift, but for things to really get moving, you need the sun 15 degrees on the other side of it. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to be my title maybe for this episode is, is Venus and Jupiter coming home because they're both basically doing it this month. Yeah. Yeah. But if yes, it's in domicile. Yes, nice. Also a stellar signature for November, just to have that given everything we've dealt with this year so far. So, 
Maybe we'll do like a special episode, maybe not, but let's just talk a little bit about Jupiter in Scorp versus Jupiter in Sag, maybe. Yeah. Sure. What was the yeah. end? Let's do retrospective first. I mean, one of the things, I don't know. I mean, one of the big things, of course, that happened late last year, because it was right after Jupiter went into Scorpio, and then suddenly everything started coming out about like the Me Too movement. And it all started with that with the director um Weinstein Weinstein Harvey Weinstein yep. right Yes Um what was the end result of that like it was interesting cuz it was actually in the past two weeks I think I saw a retrospective in the Washington Post or something where it was trying to talk about what impact that ended up having in showing up in different countries cuz one of the objections that I remember late last year is some people were annoyed that um, astrologers are focusing on this and associating with Jupiter and Scorpio and treating it almost like it was just an American phenomenon. But then um, it did seem like it started having a broader impact and it was showing up in other countries over the course of the past 12 months, it seems like, right? It may not have had the biggest, you know, everything, it may not have completely changed the world in terms of making things completely different than they were 12 mm. months ago. But it seems like a lot of conversations were started that weren't taking place like a year ago, right? I would agree with that. Um, I'm just trying to think about, yeah. Well, so just to include that in a more general theme, you know, what I saw from Jupiter and Scorpio was learning, learning Jupiter um, from the darkness, from those things which are hidden. Um, you know, those events which were hidden, you know, Scorpio, as we pointed out, is where Venus is in exile, right? So it's Jupiter trying, and Jupiter has as one of its significations justice, like trying to bring justice to things that were unjust. Also, you know, you had the, the witch thing um, sort of blow up as a pop culture thing. Right. That's true. Um, and you know, the, it was oh, this year yeah. we had uh, we had um, you know at UAC everybody was like, yeah, planetary magic is awesome. And I was like, really? It's not creepy. And they're like, no, it's great. Keep talking. Um, like that. That Jupiter and Scorpio is definitely pro occult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a really big shift. I did notice that as well over the past year. Like this did seem like the year in which suddenly astrological magic was being discussed a lot more frequently and openly and adopted by a lot more people than anything I've seen in the past. Yeah, me too. And, and I think that that's, you know, and Jupiter and yeah, Jupiter and Scorpio is just like good for the occultisms and the witchcraft. Um, and my last Jupiter and Scorpio was great for that too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, somebody had a book that came out that helped contribute to that a little bit. Oh, you know, just, just, just doing my part, the celestial art. Uh, available right. through the Three Hands Press website or on Amazon.com. Um, I was just doing a little fact-checking. There was a big sex scandal in Australian politics that came out early 2018. So, you know, just a little after the Jupiter ingress where the Deputy Prime Minister basically was had been having an affair and got his other girl on the side pregnant and left his wife with their four daughters to go and be with his lover, I guess. Um, so just to add a little bit of an international edge um, to some of it, it wasn't quite, didn't have quite the same sort of Me Too tone, but it did raise a lot of that um, sexual power dynamic questions were coming up because the woman that he'd had an affair with was actually a staffer in his office. So 
um, we saw some of those Jupiter and Scorpio themes. And he had to resign at his deputy prime ministership, which is basically like the vice president, the equivalent of the the American vice president level. Um, Justin Trudeau, yeah, did have a Me Too thing too. There were whispers of a scandal. Justin Trudeau's got a really sharp PR machine and they shut it down pretty quickly. But there were Justin Trudeau is the Canadian prime minister. Um so I do think a lot of that has been tied, you know, not just in the States to to stories and issues cropping up elsewhere. Yeah. And in the article I just found it that I mentioned, it was in the Washington Post and it was titled A Year After It Began, Has Hashtag Me Too Become a Global Movement? And it just went through different countries where some of those discussions have come up and became more prominent. And it did end, I mean, consistently had more of a not not skeptical, but more of a it wasn't clear how much lasting change or that the world hadn't like changed over the course of the past year, but there were actually a lot of those discussions were starting to happen in different countries, although there was more or less pushback in, in some areas rather than others. And yeah. So I thought that was interesting just in terms of one of the questions that came up really early on was, is this just something happening just after the ingress that's limited or is it going to be is is there going to be like lingering impacts over the course of the next year? And I feel like the answer was yes, that we did see different sort of variations of that cropping up all, all over over the course of the past year that felt like they were, you know, not just tried, tied into that transit. Certainly there was other things going on with the Venus and the Mars retrogrades, but that Jupiter and Scorpio sort of inaugurating the beginning of that a year ago did seem to carry it through the rest of the year um, in a way that you know, we weren't sure if it would at the beginning of the year, but I think we can confirm in retrospect that it kind of did. Yeah, I, I, I said at the time, and I'll just repeat now that I do think that um, the American epicenter of that and the most dramatic uh, events concerning that happening in America do have a lot to do with the fact that we just had the the what was called at the time the Great American Eclipse, which just from the textbook. Um, you know, with the eclipse in Leo says, you know, people from great heights will fall. And a lot of uh, and several of the the mm. prominent um, uh, people who fell um, had uh, had planets very close to that American eclipse. And so I do think that um, that can't be ignored. And we also had the most um, dramatic cases during the six months following um, that eclipse, which included Jupiter's ingress into Scorpio. But, you know, it, it's it's Scorpio. Scorpio land contains things like that. When you get Jupiter there, it tries to bring those things up. Also, it's the 12th house of the United States in the Sibley chart. So, yeah. Mm. Sure. And then there was other competing things going on, obviously, in like the birth charts of individuals like, um, you know, Kevin Spacey. We were very much, much focused on him having a Saturn return, I believe. So it was very much like he had, I think it's Saturn and Capricorn, and so a large part of that was tied into his Saturn return and experiencing a, a negative manifestation of that in terms of looking at his personal transits. But it's still interesting, you know, in a year that began with Hollywood largely in the Me Too movement and everything else, and then it was kind of capped off over the past month with the in the U.S. at least the Supreme Court nomination and similar sort of, uh, you know, allegations and other things like that coming into play. Um, right. Venus, that Venus spending a connected. lot of time in the same sign as Jupiter. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. All right. So that's Jupiter and Scorpio. I mean, is there any other Jupiter and Scorpio stuff that we should mention in retrospect? I think that's good. I think that's like... I, I feel like we've got the themes. Yeah. All right. I'm pretty sure everyone is just eager for whatever new symbolism and energy that Jupiter and Sag is going to unfold or release. Right. Uh, so that brings us to now, to November 7th and 8th, where we have Jupiter moving into Sagittarius, where it'll stay for a year. Jupiter is coming yes. home. Uh, what are you guys looking forward to? What do you what do you anticipate with Jupiter and Sagittarius as being major um, sort of overarching themes? I'm like, who wants to uh, I'll, I'll start. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Um, just one very simple difference is in Scorpio, which is Mars domicile, um, Jupiter is trying to make good from bad, right? It's trying to take a challenge or a trauma and then transform or redeem that. I used um, uh, I used the uh, turning poison into medicine as uh, one of my mm. key metaphors for Jupiter and Scorpio, where you know, and it's dealing with the the neglected, the rejected. You know, it's uh, it's crossing the the taboo boundary to find something sacred that everybody thought was profane. Um, whereas Jupiter and Sag is Jupiter on its own terms. It's like you know what's Jupiter. Jupiter stuff. You know what's it? <laughs> you know what's exciting? Excitement. You know. You know what's positive? Positivity. <laughs> it's just lovely to hear your enthusiasm, Austin. Well, like I, I'll I'll do my best. Way. I don't think I can. I can do Jupiter and Pisces. Jupiter and Sag is probably a, an octave too high for me. Why don't you take over? <laughs> an octave too high. I love it. I mean, this is the yang sign of Jupiter. You know, Jupiter has two homes. It has Sag and it has Pisces. And this is the more extroverted, outgoing, classically, you know, vocal or loud version of, of Jupiter because Pisces, like all water signs, is mute. So there is a, a softness or an internal tone to Jupiter and Pisces. We also have to remember that when planets move, either by transit or progression from Scorpio to Sag, they go through a complete recalibration of their qualities. And what I'm speaking to here is that Scorpio is a water sign, so it combines the combinations of cold and wet, whereas Sag being a fire sign is heat and dryness. Sometimes when planets move from one sign to the next, there is a continuity. Um, for example, when a planet goes from Aries to Taurus, it's going from heat to dry, sorry, from hot to cold, but it's staying dry um, because both fire and air signs are dry. Um, but when we have all, you know, Jupiter is getting warmed up, you know, it's coming out of that cool fire sign, uh, sorry, the cool water sign. And the wetness of Jupiter and Scorpio, there's been a lot about the bonding and the enmeshment and, of course, the emotions. But Jupiter coming into Sag, uh, fiery Sag, it's less concerned about the togetherness and it's more about the uplifting. You know, how can I raise things up? Um, I always remember reading about fire signs having this connection to, you know, the divine element because a fire rises upwards. And so, you know, not everything wants to rise upwards or should rise upwards, but things are going to rise up and as a process, they're going to dry out. Um, and I think some of the symbolism there is going to be really rich to follow um, over the next 12 months. Yeah, 100%. When I was writing um, dailies, which involved Jupiter and Sag, 
I, I just kept my mind kept being led to the image of like a warm thermal um beneath mm. people's wings. I was like, oh, you are the wind beneath my wings. I was like, oh, oh, Austin, you got some romance in well, there. Well, I was I was channeling <laughs> Jupiter and Sag. Um, but I it's that, it. you know, and also they made us sing that in like sixth grade choir practice, like 8 million oh times. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's that updraft. Whereas, it is. you know, Jupiter and Scorpio was, you know, seeking wisdom by, you know, by going, by spiraling down, right? Jupiter and mm-hmm. Sag is like, you know, it's, it's warm and rising, getting above yeah. situations, elevating, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's, you know, it's. And what's interesting is with Sag, um, especially when Jupiter's there, you kind of have the, you know, it's a dual sign. And so you have the party side of Sag, which is the, you know, the horse likes to party. And then you have the human side, which is the, you know, the philosophical, religious, spiritual, you know, uh, uh, Jupiter, you know, uplifting Jupiter side, Um, you know, the, 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 the philosopher, the quest, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, Jupiter in, in Sag pushes both of those, you know, both the horse party and the uh, the philosophical quest. Yeah, it does. And it, it's it, I think that idea of the quest is a really good metaphor or symbol for Jupiter and Sag, which is what do you want to go on a quest for in this next 12 months? What experiences or wisdom or knowledge are going to be, you know, adding value or adding meaning and purpose to your life? And I think one key thing to remember about the sign of Sag is that it is not a sign that re- it's not a sign that prioritizes ambition. It's a sign that prioritizes experiences. Um, and so the idea here is that you know we can have growth and progress, but we're really looking for that enrichment or that engagement. And so that may be part of you know what comes through here. I, I would disagree and- that Sag isn't okay. ambitious. Okay. Uh, just to, yeah. respectfully. No, no, you. I'm like, I want to hear more. You can't, you can't just drop that and then say nothing else. Tell us more. I mean, really quickly though, what was your rationalization for that? Again, Kelly, could you say that again briefly? Why yeah, do you feel like, like it's I not- guess in contrast of like say um, Saturn or Capricorn, mm-hmm. which tends to have this more desire to accumulate and to have that larger overarching plan. Jupiter and or Sag is is like, I need the experience and I might take that before I would do something that might create the stability or the security. Right. That's a, I have a good example of that though. Cause I always think of when I think of Sagittarius, I think of um, Kelly Lee Phipps, who was an astrologer that passed away several years ago. Yeah. Um, but he had like heavy um, Sagittarius placements in his chart. He was like Mr. Sagittarius rising with Jupiter and Sagittarius and like Mars and Venus and Neptune there as well. Yeah, the Neptune, and, the Neptune, I think is what makes a generation of Sages not as ambitious as normal as as the archetypal Sag itself. So you can't mm-hmm. have a quest without goals. Uh, you can't have a quest without a a reason that is important enough to undergo ordeal, um, because there's mm. no quest without ordeal and challenge. Jupiter's part is the part of victory. There's no victory without contest. Jupiter is Jupiter is ambitious. It's not as structured as Saturn, um, mm. but Jupiter absolutely wants to, uh, Jupiter. Uh, you know, especially Jupiter in a young sign. Jupiter has ideas and has victory in mind, has goals in mind, has meaningful action. 
uh, in mind. Jupiter's methods mm-hmm. for overcoming challenges tend to be more peaceable than Mars's methods. Jupiter won't fight to fight, but Jupiter absolutely wants victory. And so, and I, I think again, the fourteen years of Neptune and Sag confuses that a little bit because a lot of our friends um, who are, you know, older or younger than us have Neptune and Sag. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. Neptune softens and blurs and makes more ephemeral whatever the significations of the sign are. So that that would be my that's my 10 cents. I do agree that the that that speaks to what you were talking about, Kelly, in terms of. Um, you were talking about them not planning it out ahead of time. And that I think that made a lot of sense compared to like a, a Capricorn energy or like a Saturn energy, but perhaps just like diving into things. Um, that is exactly what like Kelly Lee Phipps did with his movie project, which he did towards the end of his life, which is that he wanted to do a documentary on astrology. And he didn't really have any filmmaking background. He hadn't really done a project of that scope or nature before. But he just like started doing it and learned as he went. And unfortunately, part of the end product was not as good as it could or should have been, or anybody ideally would have wanted it to have been as a result of the lack of planning or preparation or training that he had. But he was very much driven by the optimism of just having that like higher aspiration of or, or goal in some sense, which still I think speaks to what you're talking about there. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely that feeling of winging it that comes through with Jupiter and Sag or, you know, flying off the cuff. But I I do agree with a lot of what you're saying, Austin. I do think that um, Jupiter wants to rise to the top. Um, It wants, I guess I was just sort of speaking to the motivations for that is not necessarily around ambition or success for the sake of achievement, but it's it's as you said, it's like this is a meaningful action because it fits into some maybe larger um, belief system or philosophy or my integrity is on the line and therefore I'm, I'm going to you know pursue from that perspective. Right, like uh, Kelly, right. Kelly yeah. um, Phipps, not Kelly Surtees, was <laughs> like, you know, he wanted to, you know, show everybody that astrology was amazing and that it was valid. Like his goals were really big. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, this is really good discussion. This is very thought provoking. So I'm really glad that yeah, I'm actually a little concerned this. about this because we have part two of our Zodiac series, which is coming up <laughs> in just like a week or two, which we need to record. So I don't want to, we should be careful not to go too much into plumbing the depths of Sagittarius since I know that we're going to do a lot of that in a couple of weeks here. Right. But yeah. anyway, so Jupiter and Sag is uplifting. It's positive. It's very pro quest, whatever your yes. quest is. Yes. Um, and I, I'm going to quote one of our listeners here, and he knows who he is. He's just said, the wind beneath my winging it, <laughs> <laughs> um, which I think is just a nice mashup of some of the points we've been making today. So in terms of uh, famous, from my files, famous people with Jupiter and Sagittarius, um, there are, strangely, there's like three US Supreme Court justices, William Rehnquist, Anthony Kennedy and Antonin Scalia all had Jupiter and Sagittarius. So we've got like that. There's like a judicial end of it traditionally where Jupiter is associated with with judges very literally in the courts. Um, but we've also got some interesting some like artists like Van Gogh and T.S. Eliot had Jupiter and Sagittarius. George R.R. R. Martin, Jupiter and Sagittarius, uh, evidently in the eighth house. Um, Weird Al Yoinkovic, Yoinkovic has Jupiter and Sagittarius. Uh, if this birth time is correct, it's in the eleventh house conjunct is midheaven, and um, yeah, there's a few other 
interesting celebrities like Edward Snowden, um, of course, had Jupiter and Sagittarius in the seventh house, um, which is kind of interesting. And there's a few other like random sort of celebrities of, of that sort. Which is really interesting, I think, and one of the points to make about why it's worthwhile looking at the charts of people who have, say, Jupiter and Sag or even Saturn and Capricorn, if you're trying to get a handle on these placements, have a look at how, you know, those themes show up in the story of their life. And that can give you a little bit more about the planet that you might not have read in a textbook, for instance. Yeah, one of, yeah. One of my, yeah, that's a good point. One of my favorite uh, Jupiter and Sag uh, nativities is Tony Robbins. Who has? Oh my gosh, <laughs> he's like a cliche. I didn't know he yeah, had that. Yeah, and the moon—he has the moon in Aries applying to Jupiter, and he's oh, got wow. the sun and Mercury in Pisces ruled by that Jupiter. And he's like, "I'm a giant man who's gonna who's gonna help you do things the right way, and everything's gonna get better." And I'm just, you know, yes. I'm just gonna be really angry and helpful. He does have that angry tone, um, but I guess he. But, was he, one but of he's like, sort of- "Fuck it, I'm going to help you. I'll swear, I'll swear, because I believe in helping you, and that's what it's going to take to make your life better." It's all like relentlessly positive. It is. It's sort of like the power of um- getting yelled at by a nice man. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, yeah, and the overwhelming power of like optimism—that's like a great underlying. Jupiter, uh, but especially Sagittarius type thing, because that's the thing, you know, and and we have to distinguish here between there's some charts where you're looking at Jupiter and Sagittarius, and if that's connected with the ascendant in some way, then the person sometimes is taking on the agency of Jupiter and they're like becoming Jupiter, and you see that really clearly in their personality, but that's not always the case. In some charts, it's showing up in some other area of the person's life. Yeah, that, that could represent their mom. Right in the right. chart, that could be like, yeah, your mom was like super enthusiastic and powerful and wise. Like, it doesn't. Not everything in the chart is just you. You might have learned stuff from mom, right, and carry some of that. Or that could, you know, it could literally represent your boss, right? The a planet in a chart can represent people in your life. You know, I don't I haven't looked at Van Gogh's chart, but that might have been like people who helped him out through his problems, or you know, or whatever it is. That's a really good point to make, for sure. Yeah, you know, does the Jupiter and Sag rule your seventh house, for instance? Does it mean that you attract partners that are basically Jupiter and Sag? Or does it rule your fourth house or is it placed in the fourth where it rules, you know, a parent or your upbringing or what have you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm- – I've. I've had a few clients this week with Jupiter and Sag with the Jupiter because you, you mentioned um Neptune in Sag Austin for people of sort of our generation mm-hmm. and then of course we did have that period where we had Uranus in Sag I think it's 1983 maybe 1984 Yeah I think there's yeah. like so two we had, years of Jupiter and your or, or Yeah so or Jupiter Neptune, with Uranus Sorry Neptune and Uranus Right in there together so it's 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 really interesting because to, to think about these um sort of sub generations of the different iterations of Jupiter and Saturn. Yeah, Neptune, yeah, Neptune really Neptune, Uranus and Pluto all kind of temporarily distort for better and worse the quality of a sign while they're there. Yeah. Yeah. A uh, friend of the friend of the show Adam Summer actually is a Jupiter and Sag conjunct Uranus conjunct his IC uh, in a square oh. ascendant. It's a really great example of a of a Jupiter and Sag. Neptune's there. It's very it's much later in the sign. It's not as tied into that combination, but um yeah, he's a good example of that. I, I know another one of those. Another Tell person that more. has that, that Jupiter Uranus conjunction from like the eighty three time frame. Another Gemini from exactly that year. 
Excellent. But yeah, Uh, that's probably enough on Jupiter and Sag. I mean, I think we've made it. I mean. We've definitely clarified the vibe. Yeah. So the, 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 the power of optimism, but sometimes optimism having to be the almost the only thing that's that carries you and sometimes that works out and you can get by or skate by just on optimism but other times that leaves you with an insufficient foundation and the end result is less good than it could have been if you had more than just optimism or like enthusiasm going for it yeah i mean there there's um you know jupiter isn't just positive thinking it's also positive thinking you know jupiter also is connected with um you know, higher education, higher thinking, you know, larger philosophical concerns. It's not just like, just trust, you know, it's not just like think positive, bro. Um, there's there, you know, we shouldn't reduce it to that, but that is part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And there are certain, you know, with, um, uh, with Jupiter and Sag, I think we, we can access, um, Zeus myths very directly. Um, so Zeus or Indra, you know, there are a lot of stories of lightning kings of the gods who are just like super powerful and, you know, generally do a pretty good job, but also mess up a lot. They overestimate, they've got a lot of power, but they do, they, they sometimes don't think through all of the consequences of their actions. Um, you know, the, the, this like lightning wielding imperfect king um, is a very strong um, mythological motif. Um, that we can associate with Jupiter and Sag, I think, very clear, very easily. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, one last thing before we move on from this, uh, the 1983 conjunction of, of Jupiter and Uranus and Sag, um, huge impact on the astrological community that was felt years later. Um, the company Astro.com, or the company that became Astro.com, was founded oh. October 4th of 1983 uh, with Jupiter at seven degrees of Sag and Uranus at six degrees of Sag. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the profound impact that they've had in bringing astrology, more advanced forms of astrology and making them accessible to using technology to make astrology accessible to everybody. And I I have to feel like they're almost like single-handedly capable or culpable for the, the sort of fact that astrology is becoming so much more popular. And it's not just sun sign astrology. It's like a whole generation of people know what their sun, moon, and rising sign are because they can calculate their chart easily and for free on astro.com. Yeah, that was it was, that was a really, that was a huge resource for me um, in learning okay, astrology. Me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. You too, Kelly? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I like jumped in on you guys because I was so Jupiter and Sag excited. Um, yeah, it it was a huge resource. And I remember they would put up charts and then there would be discussion and I would just be a bit of a lurker, but you could hear other people's, it was, you know, before I could, you know, there was enough people locally for me to chat to and and the the resource was phenomenal, phenomenal. So that's a Jupiter and Uranus, um, exemplar, I guess. a good one. Yeah. 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 That's a really good one. So we'll return back to that and talk about that again, but I just wanted to get that out there. So, yeah, um, moving back to that, we're still on like the first, week, the first week of November. There's a, um, there's a new moon. Then we talked, yeah, we sort of skipped over it, didn't we? 15 Scorpio on the seventh. Right. So right in the middle of those three changes, Uranus nodes, Jupiter, uh, we have, uh, the lunar cycle resets, right? Yeah. 
And so I think that that's actually a very appropriate time for a new moon, right? It's like, it's literally time to reset because, you know, we have a bunch of changes. Yeah, and that word reset, I kept coming up with as mm. well when I was thinking about these these few days in November. I know it's a, it's a regression kind of ingress for Uranus, but it's a new energy that we haven't had for six months mm. for Uranus. The nodes are kicking in. We have not had the North Node in Cancer for about 18 years. That's how long it takes the North Node to get back to a sign. And then, of course, Jupiter is making a once in 12. Um, it's 12 months that it changes signs, but it's 12 years since Jupiter has been in Sag. So to have a new moon sandwiched in the middle, it's just everything is kind of being recalibrated and updated if you like to use computer analogies, you know, new software is starting to run. It's a different version. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be an opportunity. It starts this week and then it kind of completes next the following week when Mars actually gets out of Aquarius. But, you know, letting those things that have maybe been taking a lot of time and energy for the last six months or so, you know, we're, we're just putting them to rest and we've got new projects, new priorities you know, that breath of fresh air, there are new possibilities coming in. And particularly with the Jupiter and Sag, I always think the imagery, I always like with Scorpio, I always viscerally turn my attention into my, to my belly. It's, you know, it's that navel internal kind of gaze. Whereas with Jupiter and Sag, it's like this upward, outward looking much further into the future. And that's, that's what you're being asked to do in this early part of November is to look up and out and not get too stuck in, in what's right in front of you. Yeah, hundred percent. Brilliant. I like that. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so with the new moon, I don't know. Do you want to say anything else about the new moon, Austin? Um, I think that was really good. Um, I would just add that, and I think this is implied by looking up and out, is that you know three things change right around that new moon. Venus is not direct for nine more days, but Venus is within a degree of the direct station degree. So Venus really isn't going anywhere new, right? No. Um, and so there's really a, how do we put this? Um, I, I feel like the, the modus operandi there is to look around and discover what the new configuration or what the what this new setup looks like and feels like because if you are just like okay done with one month now i'm going to do another and assume that it's going to be of the same character or even a similar character mm -hmm. you're going to be incorrect um like look up and out in order to see what's changed and see where the road goes um, because again, if you, if you plot the trajectory based on the last month and the last month and the last month and the last month and the last month, you're going to, um, be dead wrong because the road curves here. Yeah. Which is a really beautiful point that you want to pay attention because the landscape is shifting. And even though the year has had a lot of repetition, this is not a month where we continue. Yeah, that. It's where we finally break out of it. Yeah. Thank, thank goodness. <laughs> Thank F. Um, I mean, in <laughs> Chris swore last month and it was okay. Yeah, we we it can be like the FCC, and you can get one in like on each episode, and that's and that's fine. Oh, I should have saved mine. So, yeah, yeah, you gotta use it wisely. Use it wisely. I mean, I don't know about you, Austin. I mean, after this November six to eight period, my focus shifts right to the fifteenth and sixteenth. Hundred percent, we're on the same page because then we get. Yeah. Mars Mars moves into not Aquarius. 
Thank goodness. All right, so Mars I mean, into Pisces on November 15th. 15th. Honestly, that's let's have a Pisces party that oh, day. Love it. Because the the right the other thing too is that since the middle of March 2018, Mars has been in Saturn ruled signs. Mm, that's a good point. That's it. Yeah. Just just Mars in Saturn ruled signs. Right. Like I mean, I am I love a bit of Saturn like the next girl, but <laughs> I would take me something different just for just to mix it up a bit. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I love Mars and Pisces. My Mars return is always glorious. So you should tell us, you should lead off about this well, one, Well, I think my, my experience is probably very particular to someone with Mars and Pisces for whom Mars is playing an important role in their chart. But, um, you know, I Mars Mars and Pisces is the, among other things, it is the the power of the imagination, the, the mm. power to, you know, it's that yin power also, that flow. I kind of feel like Mars in Pisces is, it's sort of like half Mars in Scorpio, half Mars in Cancer. Like you get, you get some of that just Mars being comfortable in a water sign um, that you see yeah. with Mars in Scorpio. You do get a little bit of the oversensitivity that you see with Mars in Cancer. Um, but, you know, it's like, you know, because uh, Mars is kind of horrible in Cancer and kind of amazing in Scorpio. And <clears throat> Pisces is sort of like half of both. And then sprinkle some fairy dust on it. <laughs> Austin, I just can't believe that word, that phrase. You've you've used sparkles of gold in this episode and fairy dust. It's true. Well, I you know I've been known to sprinkle things. Um, this is great. I really love. I, I I mean, I totally get where you're coming, and I just hadn't pulled it together myself. That Mars in Pisces is like a mashup of Mars in Cancer versus Mars in Scorpio. It's like the middle point of Mars in the water signs. Yeah, it's not right. It's not perfect dignity, but it's there's not a problem. No. You know, there it's not like it doesn't get stuck in its depression or fall. Uh-uh. You know, and it's good. You know, as far as like, um, if you want to kick things, Mars rules the feet. It's good for that. Um, if you want to, uh, you know. It, now this is the Austin we know. Well, about. you know that um, um, I, I'm amazing at kicking things like that. You yeah. are like you, you could have been a soccer player or no, something. No, um, bodies. Okay. <laughs> of course, where you can like, I love it. That's great. Um, no, that was the first martial art that I got good at was just kicking the bejesus out of things. Um, I've literally like back when I was, back when I was a boy, like I kicked someone, I, in class, in a sparring situation, I kicked someone hard enough into the wall that there was an imprint of them in the wall. I've broken, you know, having Mars and Pisces opposite Saturn in Virgo, uh, I've, I've broken four or five toes kicking people. Uh, I've broken my right foot kicking people. Um, I had my jaw broken by a kick. Somebody kicked you. Yeah. Um, wow. Not that everybody should start kicking things. That's a side. Well, let's come back to That's that a- maybe during our zodiac <laughs> discussion. But yes, Pisces rules the feet, and Mars there natally um, can um, uh, quite literally represent hitting with feet. Um, but it's you know it's like a it's like an energetic, imaginative, um, kind of flowy. Can be too oversensitive. Um, yeah, I mean, that's when, when you're talking about like Mars and Pisces, like Pisces is such a squishy sign. It's not, usually... it's ruled by Jupiter, Chris. It's right. not ruled by I Neptune. I realize that, Clean your but mind. it's like, it is, the, it is the most mutable of the four mutable signs, uh, in terms of the, both the flexibility, which is, is good, but also sometimes yes. the, 
almost like um, directionless or sort of flowing nature. The flakiness. Let's just be specific yeah, here. I wasn't going to go there, but it, I mean, if if you you say it, since you're the Pisces stellium person, then it's okay. It's there is absolutely. I mean, I was just saying this to someone in the flower shop of all places yesterday that. You know, I think Pisces is very much, it's true to its dual nature and Pisceans are one extreme or the other, basically. And. What? One and. extreme and the other. I like it. I like it. I see what you did there. Yeah, they're actually chained <laughs> together at the mouth. That's true. They don't actually get to, uh, yeah. How many other people were in the flower shops? Because it's it's Friday. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. It, Pisces is very squishy. For sure. I think someone's going to have to hashtag that, Chris. That was great. But you know, the good, one of the good things, let me, if I speak out on this specific Mars in Pisces sojourn, it will be ruled by Jupiter in Sag. Yeah. So well, that's. If I, if I may, if I may counterpoint. <laughs> if you may, Neptune, bring it on. <laughs> Neptune is right in the middle of Pisces at this point, and Mercury is going to station retrograde at 13 degrees of Sagittarius uh, around mid November very closely square Neptune at uh, 13 degrees of Pisces. So we have like a full-blown Mercury-Neptune square right in the middle of this month. And then Mars comes in right about the same time to join the party in that sign. And while it doesn't make it up to Neptune until uh, probably next next month, December, yeah. it's still kind of like joining that party of you know we're already in a squishy sign of, of Pisces and we're joining Neptune squaring Mercury there. You do make a good point, Chris. And that weekend, I mean, November 16th and 17th, which is when Mercury stations retrograde at 13 Sag, it's also the weekend that, or the time in the month where the moon comes to Neptune in in uh, Pisces. <laughs> this is an example of Piscean forgetfulness. Right. Um, and so there really is, there's, a, there's quite a squishy pile up there in the middle of the month. I will concede this. Um, I think it's so, going to be I mean, pretty sure. exciting with the Mars square Jupiter is a pretty mm, like fun rowdy. And then, you yeah. know, and, and that's on the 19th. Yeah. And that, that Jupiter is very active. Um, you know, Mercury. Yeah, I feel like it's going to help Mars do something and sorry, Austin, I cut you off. Oh, no, no, uh, I, I agree. Um, I think that the, um, yeah, the, well, well, Mars is close to Neptune. It'll almost look. What I usually find is when Mars is close to Neptune, Mars almost disappears. Like the, mm -hmm. like the, you know, it seems like Neptune really dominates Mars, especially in Pisces. I think during yeah. like, you know, maybe f let's say five degrees on either side, six degrees on either side, um, it's almost going to be like, you know, y you go from flexible Mars in Pisces to just dissolving. Right, uh, and so I think that's right. quite valid. But you know, we got Mars in in uh, Pisces until January. Yeah, that specific three degrees plus or minus to Neptune Mars uh, that you're speaking about, Austin. The time frame for that it looks like it's about November twenty eighth through to uh, around December twelfth. So that is our super squishy period. But Chris, you're really trying to talk about the Mercury square Neptune aspect, and Austin and I can't stop talking about yeah. Mars in Pisces. <laughs> I mean, I just feel like that's one of the signatures of the month because it's like right there in the middle, and it's like, okay, we get a Mercury retrograde every few months, um, but Mercury square Neptune, just as an aspect in of itself, is like a natal signature. Mercury Neptune are one of those aspects that are so stark to me sometimes, and just 
straightforward in their manifestation. And to have Mercury station retrograde squaring Neptune, um, that's just a that seems like a major signature to me right in the middle of the month. Hundred percent. Um, and just to be clear for people, so Mars enters Pisces on the fifteenth, Venus stations direct on the fifteenth, and then Mercury or sorry, sixteenth. The it's all the six is it it's fifteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth? 15, yeah. yeah, I've got Eastern Time Zone 15, 16, yeah, so 17th. This is, it's all around right, that This is why we jump because it's another, it's another trio of rapid fire changes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Chris, I agree. I, I find that I don't know if there's any planet that afflicts Mercury's action, like its, its core significations, as much as Neptune. Where Mercury right. is like, let's sort things. And Neptune's like, it's all one, you know? Right. <laughs> Yeah, the um, because it's like Saturn can inhibit Mercury, can like inhibit speech or stop it from happening, or in sometimes very literal ways. But Neptune does something else to it; it like warps it in this interesting way. What Mercury is trying to communicate? Yeah, I think that this is um, definitely set up to be, and this is part of this is actually part of um, why I was saying um, about the new moon, like. Just look around. Don't come in like super A to B to C planned um, where you don't have to because Mercury retrograde in its detriment square Neptune mm. is um, not uh, not particularly clear of path. And so so pray for me because I'm going to be flying across the ocean three days after this station. Right. Well, I mean, I always say long distance travel is an exercise in surrender. You enter the system and you give up control over what happens and when. You have a number that somebody else is managing and you will get where you need to go as the as the system chugs you through. And that is part and parcel of Neptune and Mercury together. It's that I said it's that surrendering of logical or rational or fact-based kind of control or planning yeah well right fact-based i think that's a good way of putting it like we're relinquishing the fact-based approach i think is a good way of, of putting the <laughs> you know manifestation that often goes towards which is the more deceptive sort of um tendencies of mercury and neptune is one of the things that i am always a little more nervous about sometimes and it's it's nervous i'm it makes me nervous seeing it in a larger, like mundane scale of like what does a larger scale signature of deception mean in a broader mundane context? Sounding very familiar. Did we have something like this last year? Yeah. Yes. Probably. December 2017, Mercury stationed direct at 13 Sag and Neptune was at 11 Pisces. And I think we talked about that idea of like misinformation or, you know, maybe deceit or deception or illusion coming out. Yeah, um, we'll see what the news and, says. Yeah. About what. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't know. Somebody mentioned to me being a little nervous about it happening after some of the election stuff happening in the US. Um, I don't necessarily want to go there fully because that's a okay. whole other can of worms. But um, yeah, I mean, one of the on the bright side though it's a very um positive illusion sometimes so the illusion that mercury and neptune is able to create sometimes is very good when you're in like the sphere of it and sometimes don't realize when you step out it's only once you step outside of that and then that may, may be the thing for many of the people if you get hit by this transit 
that it's not until you get to the other end that you may realize that everything you were experiencing or thought you were seeing while you were in the the sort of epicenter of it was not quite what it seemed at at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And go I was going to say, you know, what I think about this is that, you know, this is Mercury stationing retrograde in Jupiter's sign, which Jupiter just ingressed into. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as your wayfinding and journeying goes, follow Jupiter. Jupiter yeah. is going to be the, you know, Jupiter is going to, you know, Mercury is um, in a sense subservient to Jupiter here. Um, uh-huh. you know, follow the quest, follow, you might not know the road, but you know, you're going North. So go North, right. You know, the actual, yeah. the actual pathways, um, don't look like they're going to be incredibly clear with, with Mercury <laughs> square Neptune. But like, you know, if you know that you're headed Southeast, you can find a way Southeast. Like Jupiter is that compass bearing and that you can but get there. What if there. there's yeah. like a really appealing looking gingerbread house like off to the side in a little path as you're on your way there? Do you do you stop and part- you, partake? You are, I think with the mutable mojo, you are allowed tangents and, and distractions, but you don't stay in the tangents or distractions. You might need to snack in the gingerbread house. And then when or- your belly's full and you've had enough to, you know, after carb coma crash, you get back on and you keep going southeast. Right. Wait, no, that's not the right answer because that's when you get in like the, you know, the myths and stuff. That's when you get eaten by- Yeah, you are the snack some... in the gingerbread house. <laughs> right, exactly. It's to lure you in and then you disappear or something. <laughs> like the big bad wolf. Um, but I mean, so, but honestly, this is like, I, I, I don't see this as a, I think this is a generally pretty- beneficent confusion because we have jupiter right there with mercury and and jupiter is the lord of all of yeah, it in this yeah, mess Jupi- if we're talking about squishy stuff Jup- jupiter is in charge jupiter of the lot. gets to run the show i think this is i, I think a lot of i there's no saturn waiting <laughs> chris you're not you're not believing us well it's are just you? <laughs> that J- jupiter we earlier in the show we established that jupiter is disappearing at the almost exact same time which traditionally that was actually the weird um things going behind the scenes or being covered signature in ancient astrology was planets under the beam so it's interesting that jupiter disappears right about the same time and mars also is showing up into pisces where it's squaring jupiter which even though normally we're going to say jupiter's in the superior position and has the upper hand there it's weird that mars is actually going to be in a position to sort of afflict jupiter on some level right about the same time I'm just saying that, it's complicated. That's all, that's all it's, I'm saying. It's, it's complicated. I mean, the quote that keeps coming into my mind, it's a roomy quote that talks about sniffing with your wisdom nose. And I think that's sort of what we're alluding to here is you can't think your way through this. There isn't enough data or information that is going to help guide you forward. There is a little bit of that leap of faith or that trust required. Or using and other senses. Other senses is a great way of putting it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But it is complicated even though it looks like uplifting mess. Sure. Uh, So this is the middle of the month. Do we really have much towards the end of the month? It looks like we have a couple of things. We got a lunation and we got Neptune stationing direct. Well, the sun moves into Sag. And these three things you guys just mentioned, November 22nd, 23rd, 24th, another three-day whammy. Yeah, so November 22nd, it looks like the sun goes into uh, Sag, and then very, very shortly after that, the moon moves into Gemini, so we get a full moon. 
Um, weird discussion topic came up on a forum I saw recently on like a professional forum for astrologers on Facebook, where they said some astrologer was claiming that the full moon is dictated by the sun, the sign that the sun is in. So they actually misunderstood or, or reversed it somehow. But just for clarification, if anybody doesn't know, the sign of the full moon is the sign that the moon is in when it hits the opposition with the sun. Uh, is just in terms of like basic astrology terminology. Yeah. Yeah, the lunations are governed by the placement of the moon. Yeah, it'll always be opposite the sun on a full moon. So sun in Gemini, or excuse me, sun in Sag, full moon in Gemini. Right. Yeah. But it's dictated. And if it's in, by the moon placement. So it's a, we're calling this a Gemini full moon, not a Sag full moon. Right. Just want to make yeah. sure that was that was clear so people don't mix it up or, or reverse it. Somehow. As one of our audience you... members puts it, the sign of the full moon is the sign the full moon is in. Just for clarity's <laughs> sake. Just to be really clara, clear. I mean, I think it's good. The definition of a full moon is when the sun and moon are opposite, but there's no there should be no confusion of where the moon is at that point of opposition. Right. Um, I think it was just a question of which sign then you're placing the emphasis on. And in this case, Kelly, that's where your point's just really good, that the lunation is being dictated by the moon. And that's what we're focused on in that cycle. Totally. So if it's a new moon, where is the moon? If it's a full moon, where is the moon? You just keep coming back to where is the moon for these things. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Um, so, and that's at zero Gemini. So, it is adding to the mutable madness uh, that is otherwise happening in the sky. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's going to be you know the sun is conjunct Jupiter. The moon is going to apply to square Mars. So, you know, we we do have a lot of uh, like it's tension, if you like. But I always think mutable tension is not quite as frustrating or stressful as like fixed if if this configuration was in fixed signs for instance yeah i mean i don't know my experience from the outside of like mutable tension working with a mutable person is like being feeling there's a lot of urgency and like the deadline is coming up but that the mutable person is not is like you know it'll happen it'll we'll get to it when it when it's time or or something like that like there's a less of a sense of urgency or something of that nature. Maybe that's not a good way to put it. What, how do you guys feel about deadlines as two mutable people? Are you able to, I, I guess you both have Saturn opposing that, so that's something you're able to, to balance out a little bit more? The mutable people, the mutable people. Sorry. <laughs> Austin, tell us, what is your answer to the question? Um, yeah, I think Chris is right. Uh, you know, mutable is, mutable no is adaptive. Do you... You you handle things as they arise. Say that again. Mutable what? Mutable mutable is adaptive, right? It's like oh okay, so this is the situation. So I'll take this stance to solve this problem. Next situation, um, you know, fixed is like no, we're doing things this way, and we're gonna make sure that they happen this way. And cardinal is like dreaming up how things are gonna go. Um, and so yeah, I, you know, I think. Um, I think mutable is certainly it's it's more flexible um in adapting to surprising situations which is useful. It's also mm-hmm. more flexible in um how should we say it's also more flexible about um continuing things as they've been built. It's like yeah, we don't have to keep doing it this way, which is annoying for fixed planets because they're like no no, I'm trying to do this pattern. Um but yeah, it's uh yeah, it's it's adaptable. 
it's it's mutable is reactive um relative to both the fixed and cardinal signs and it doesn't mean that it's necessarily passive right because we so mm. for example with jupiter in you know with sag right we have like okay how do i react to the situation in order to achieve my goals and going back to quests for jupiter in sag right there's uh, uh it, there's no myth or story of a quest that proceeds from the beginning um in the same <clears throat> excuse me in the way that it is imagined at the beginning the quest is always like well then this happened and then this happened and then this god threw this thing you know this curveball in it's very like trying to achieve you know sag active fire but by um reacting and adapting to the curveballs yeah so christina in the chat says uh, nimble i think that's a really good term yeah yeah, there is. And I think there with, you know, you asked Chris about mutable and deadlines. Um, there is, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit personal experience. I used to be very afraid of deadlines right up until my Saturn return. Like if it, like the fear of God would be in me about a deadline. Hmm. And then after my Saturn return, that softened a little bit. And sometimes my feeling towards a deadline now is it's a little bit of like a suggestion <laughs> rather than a firm thing, right. which I'm not necessarily promoting that because I know that's not functional. It's not, you know, reliable. Um, but I do think the mutable way is, you know, definitely gets distracted or goes off on tangents. Um, but, it, you know, it can get there in the end. Yeah, for sure. I think it, it's not as though. I think it's because I'm even more mutable than you, Kelly, I think chart wise. Or, ooh, I don't know. You have mutable rising, but I have a mutable moon. So I don't know. I have a mutable moon too. Oh, you do. I'm going to throw do. down with you my do. mutable. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. I think you win. Um, not that it was a contest. <laughs> my point my, my point is that, um, uh, is or the point I was going to make is that it is worth noting that Saturn is not dignified in any of the mutable signs. Correct. It doesn't have any kind of positive. It has triplicity in dignity in some of them. In the and it has a bound basically. or a decan. It has a bound in all of them, and it has a decan in some of them. But there's no, you know, serious. There's no like, um, Sub, like yeah. There, there's no first billing. I want to say substantial, but I don't want to be offensive to yeah, someone. Yeah, it's um, around that. The, the mutable signs are not. Um, none of them are Saturnian in quality. Virgo is probably the uh -huh. closest. In some senses, yeah. but you know, that yeah. my take-home phrase is going to be for from now on for mutables deadlines or suggestion. But I knew you would like that, Chris. Thanks for that, Kelly. <laughs> All right, it's okay. Um, it came from when my dad, my parents came to visit us in Canada, and we'd be we went on this big road trip, and my husband and I, Peter, were in one car, and Mum and Dad were in another car, and we stopped for a break, and my dad said, "So, uh, speed limits are a suggestion here in Canada, are they? Because." <laughs> The Canadians just drive. So it, that's what popped into my head. I was like, yeah, it's just a guideline, but we're not fixed and firm yeah, about the, it. The planets which so. rule the mutable signs are Mercury and Jupiter, right? Neither of which are, yeah, you know, both of which are, are somewhat flexible, especially when compared to, say, Mars or Saturn. Yeah. That might be a or good keyword for Mars and Pisces, that speed limits are a suggestion. <laughs> this is going to be, this is a funny episode. <laughs> Uh, speaking of, we're actually getting towards the end of it. So the yes. very last thing in that combination was just Neptune's basically stationing Neptune station. direct 
at 13 Pisces right after that full moon. It stations about the 23rd-ish, it looks like. Oh, yeah. Don't forget your election too, Chris. I have already successfully forgotten it until let me switch <laughs> over to that. That actually happens. And I didn't remember. That was our lovely friend, Arthur. Oh, thank you, um, Arthur. You saved me from- Saved Chris's bacon. Yeah. So let me pull that up because Lisa actually had a hard time finding elections this month. She found some standard- um Capricorn rising ones that we've been doing for a while. She found a Pisces rising one, um, but we ended up going with one of the Sag rising ones in order to show off a little bit of what we're going to be looking at for elections during the course of the next year as we've got Jupiter in Sagittarius and we want to take take advantage of that basically and make some charts where that's the focal point of the electional chart. So this isn't the best month to really show that that off, actually, because of all of that um, mutable stuff that's going on, especially with Mercury getting ready to station retrograde in the middle of Sagittarius and um, Neptune also stationing in mid-Pisces. So unfortunately, it's hard to get around this month. If you're going to do elections, you're basically going to have Mercury square Neptune uh, one way or another, no matter what you do. So it's sort of something you have to just deal with. That being said, um, the other reason why this is not fully taking advantage of Jupiter and Sagittarius yet is because Jupiter is so early in the sign that we can't quite get, it's very hard to get uh, the moon applying to a conjunction with Jupiter, which we're going to be able to do later this year, which is going to be very Mm -hmm. nice. So in this chart, we instead made the moon applying to Venus. So the electional chart for this month that we decided to highlight is set for November 10th, 2018 at about 8 o'clock in the morning. So 8 o'clock a.m. local time, set it to 8 o'clock, whatever your city you're in, and then set the chart so that early Sagittarius is rising. So let's say about three-ish degrees of Sagittarius rising so that Jupiter is conjunct the ascendant. It's in the first whole sign house, or even if you're using quadrant houses, it's still within a few degrees of the ascendant degree. So we've got Jupiter and Sagittarius in the first house. It's a day chart. Um, Jupiter is ruling the first house and the fourth house. Uh, Mercury is also in Sagittarius in the first house, and the moon is in Sagittarius at around 23 degrees, applying to a sextile with Venus at 25 degrees of Libra, which is located in the 11th house of friendship. And Venus is just getting ready to station retrograde just a few days after the, or station direct just a few days later. So it's a great first house chart because the ruler of the first house is in its own sign. It's of the second favor. It's a benefic. Um, This is going to be really good if you want to take on the agency of that optimistic Jupiter that we were talking about earlier in the show and do something where that sort of enthusiasm or optimism and and the ability to have that carry you um, is really used to its fullest extent. This would be a good chart for it. Um, It's got some nice 11th house things going on with friendship with the moon applying to that 11th house Venus. So in terms of building alliances or friends or other things of that nature, it's not a terrible chart for financial matters. There may be some difficulties at the beginning with Saturn in the second house. However, it's in Capricorn and it's a day chart. So this is one of those things where while it may start off slowly, it will build up and get better over time and generally could be Um, better for financial matters than some of the charts we've been showing over the past few months. Uh, The major problematic area is Mars in a day chart in the third house, um, but it's not otherwise really afflicting anything major in the chart. And one of the reasons we went with this chart rather than one later in the month 
is, of course, we're going to get into some complications once Mars moves into Pisces, because then for a while, when we're trying to do with some of these Sagittarius rising charts, um, we're going to have Mars in the first house, sometimes squaring Jupiter or other Sagittarius planets, which is a little bit more problematic. So that's why we decided to go with this one. So this is the chart we decided to highlight this month. We have other charts that might be better elections that we're going to go over in the Electional Astrology, the Auspicious Elections podcast, which is for patrons. Um, but we wanted to save those and introduce those in that. And we just wanted to highlight this as one of the you know, Jupiter and Sagittarius elections, which are very similar to ones we're going to be seeing for the next 12 months. So it's like a taste of more, of what's to come, I guess, too. Yeah, yeah. I, exactly. I have a feeling that all of our elections, uh, or about three quarters <laughs> of them are going to be uh, uh, Sag rising for the next 13 months. Yeah. Oh, look, the moon's applying to Sag, Jupiter and Sag, or the moon's applying, or Venus is applying, or what have yeah. you. Um, it's it's good. Yes. It's good. Got to make the most of it. It's not going to last. Yeah. And I think I was talking um, with Ryan at the uh, conference last weekend, and I think we realized that Venus is actually going to go through Sag twice while Jupiter is there. So um, that, you know, can just, there'll be some nice elections, I guess, around that. Nice. Yeah, that's very nice. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so this is a preview and we've got I think four or five other elections we're going to go over on the Auspicious Elections podcast, which we're recording, I think, tomorrow or the next day. So find out more information about that at theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe, and people on the 5 and $10 Patreon tiers are able to access that as soon as it's posted. So that is my election for the month. Thanks to Lisa Scheim for finding that. You can find out more information about her work at lisascheim.com. All right, guys, um, this is kind of bringing us to the end of this episode. And unfortunately, it looks like our time is just about up. Are there any final final thoughts about November that we need to mention or, or major things that we should have mentioned that we overlooked in the past two and a half hours? My one sentence summary for November is it is a massive reset. So let the past be the past and start thinking about where you want to go in the future. And I agree with Austin's point around Jupiter being invisible. Um, you don't necessarily have to make the future happen now, but you want to set your sights on where you want to go. Yeah, I, I'm in, in agreement with Kelly here. And I would just say, you know, not only is Jupiter going invisible so the sun can conjoin Jupiter, right? Have that Have that meeting. You know, the sun and Jupiter are going to have a little talk. Jupiter's like, all right, I'm in Sag now. We're going to do this for the next year. They agree on stuff. Jupiter in um, in December becomes visible again. And we have the Mercury retrograde at the same time. And so this is totally think about the future, but don't set it all in stone until we get Mercury direct and until Jupiter becomes visible again, which are about the same time, right? So this is definitely think about things. Think about all the pathways and you know, all the quests you want to go on. But, but you know, in some ways, I think this could be used as getting a jump on what your 2019 is going to be like. So by the time we get to mid-December, you know exactly what quests you're going on, what you're going to try to learn, where you're going to try to expand, et cetera, et cetera. Because we've, you know, we will have done a lot of thinking about that because Mercury is going to go over Jupiter um, twice more. Um, later when uh, when Mercury retrogrades back and then hits it again direct. So it's a lot of rethinking around Jupiter. 
Brilliant. I love that. All right. Um, yeah. And this, I, I think that's great what both of you said. And just the idea that this is the, we're going into Jupiter and Sagittarius, and this is the foundational phase, but there might be better times in the future, as I was saying, like with the electional charts to really take advantage of that energy uh, a few months from now. And while now might be a great time to develop some of the inspiration and people might start doing some of the research or heading in the direction and start becoming more inspired to head in a new direction, actually laying down some of the concrete plans for that and starting to execute them might be better done uh, a few months from now, um, especially once we start seeing Jupiter again in the sky and it emerges from its period of invisibility. All right, guys, yes. uh, I think that brings us to the end of end of November. So so thanks a lot for, for joining me today for the forecast for November of 2018. We'll be back again next month and it will be December. So that means it's time to do our year ahead for the entire year of 2019, which will be the next installment of the forecast series next month. Are you guys, you guys ready for that? Um, we're going to have to do it early. Early. Ah, oh. hey, okay. Hang on. Do we not do December and then we do the year ahead? Or are we just um well because I'm having well, I guess, yeah, I guess actually you're right. So we don't when do we do it? We usually do it in early December. We usually December. do it at the end of December. Okay. We usually do the year ahead. Yeah. You are right. So we've got one more forecast episode to get out of the way, which will be the December forecast, and then technically in December, that's when we'll release the good good thinking, Kelly. You're you're on this. We've only been doing that's it. That's okay. For... I was I'm already planning like that after Christmas, we're gonna right. sit down, do our year ahead episode. And uh, and we'll have to work around Austin's travel schedule. I'll, too. I'll be back when by you... the eleventh of December, but we will for okay. the year right. ahead. Yes, but for yeah, the December month the 19th, ahead, so we'll have to do it before then. Okay, nineteenth. We'll, we'll get scheduling November. Okay. All right. Well, we'll get to work on that, and we'll be back again next month. Um, thanks a lot, guys, for joining me today. Uh, be sure to check out Austin and Kelly's websites at uh, kellysastrology.com and austincopic.com. You can find more information about the podcast at theastrologypodcast.com. Thanks to everybody. We had a very lively chat session room going in the sidebar the entirety of this. So thanks to the 30 or 40 patrons who joined us for the live recording of this episode. It's always fun. Thanks to all the patrons yeah. that support the podcast each month. We wouldn't be able to do it without you. If you want to support the podcast, then just find out more information at theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe. All right, guys. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us. And that's it for this episode. We'll see you again next month. Mm -hmm.